Welcome to Musical Osmosis, where spooky Disney thought meets blood-curdling evil reality. Uh, 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 uh. I am your non-musical but most evil host, the Elvira of Tennessee, D. <laughs> you better be careful, D. You could get burned at the stake for making statements like that down here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Musical Osmosis. <laughs> and we also have online our super spiffy, awesome host with the most, our saucy Nick Katsouris. Yes, hey. and just so you know, this is our special Halloween special. D does not have brain damage and commandeered the show. No, no, not at all. <laughs> it was just fun for a second. Our maniacal, magical co-host, Odell. What's going on? (laughs) We have a special co-host tonight, too. Our special guest co-host tonight, YouTube writer and filmmaker, the, now this is how you do it, the macabre madman of Branson, Missouri, our pal, Mozine. Yeah, thanks so much. Like it's a magazine. Zine, you are you are a magazine. You are the collective American underbelly magazine. Yeah, it all started as a magazine, actually, a little photocopied magazine. I used to sell at shows and stuff. And, can you, and I'm so can glad you to be sell, here. Oh, thanks, dude. Can you sell yeah, these? Can you sell zines today? Do you think? Do you think there's still a market for that underground punk zines and stuff? You know, I I say that commies ruin the zine scene because they used to say that. They they saw they said you're not supposed to make a profit with the zines anymore. And uh, the mag the main magazine Zine World that's how they described the zine was a not for profit publication. And Comedy's so nobody wanted everything, dude. They they yeah. their collectivism wanted five ply toilet paper, and now my anus is so coddled, I feel like it can't survive in the wild. <laughs> that's what happens. Yep, they ruin everything. So happy Halloween, guys! How's everybody yeah, feeling on this too. spooky? Will, will be Saturday when the masses hear it. I got two. I got two big things going on on Holly on Halloween. Um, the movie Casting Couch Slaughter that I have a cameo in gets released on video on Halloween, and um, right. a friend of mine bought me a ticket to go to a virtual concert to see Jenna Torture's Halloween night. So. I'm really sweet. stoked. Oh. It's going to be a crazy show. Heck yeah. Yeah, full of debauchery and everything. So You know, um, there's going to be a lot of ghost stories on the show probably tonight. We're going to ask our guests ghost stories. But I'm going to tell you guys the most scariest ghost story I can think of. The next time we're on air, we may know the results of the election. <gasps> oh, oh gosh. gosh. It's mid-November, yeah. so we, we may actually know. We may. Or the whole world <laughs> may be on fucking fire. Dun, yeah, dun, one of the dun. two. <laughs> so, you know, take that, Brown Stoker. Mary Shelley. Oh, gosh. Nothing scarier than this coming election next week. Dude, yeah, crazy. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to ask you, you something, Mormo. What is the usual Halloween like in Branson? And, like, what has changed this year? Is Branson going to be totally shut down for Halloween? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's, um... My my Halloween tradition I've been doing for the last four years is I, I eat at a place called Black Oak Grill and sit in the window at the landing 
and um, watch all the trick-or-treaters walk by, but they canceled trick-or-treating at the landing this year. And um, in Branson, all Christmas decorations have to be up on November 1st. So sadly, like, people start taking down Halloween decorations on Halloween and putting up their Christmas decorations. Yeah, it's like a city rule that everybody has to have their Christmas decorations up on november 1st so what do you mean what happens if you put up november 2nd you get fined or something yeah you get fined yeah what if you put no decorations up or does every business down there have to have decorations um i think everyone has to have decorations and is there like does somebody come around and go hey look you've got one little santa claus hanging in your window this doesn't cut mustard we're fining you is there some criteria <laughs> to the amount of Christmas festivity? Is that if that's a word? Festiveness that you yeah, have to show? You need as much as possible. And uh, and lo- like I say, it starts going up Halloween Day because of the deadline. So. so you have businesses at gunpoint having to show Christmas spirit and put up as much Christmas decorations as possible. Uh, but these are the same ones screaming how wearing a mask is oppression. But they're fine with being forced <laughs> to, like, decorate their fucking businesses in holiday cheer. Yeah, and we have some crazy anti-maskers here, man. It is insane, the amount of, like, they, they broadcast the city council meetings, and they're a hoot, man. People are just so <laughs> bizarre and weird. Dude, I put something up on our podcast, our other podcast, Apocalyptic Peanut Butter page, and um, this woman and her friend, the friend grabbed the security guard, and the woman stabbed him 27 fucking times for asking him to wear a mask. And I was like, dude, do you know the level, the Shakespearean level of hatred you had to have to stab someone 27 times? That's fucking four more times than Caesar was stabbed. Oh, my God. And that was more than one guy. Yeah. That's that's more than the number the Senate did on C- Julius Caesar. That's four more stabs than Caesar got. And he was a fucking mad tyrant. Wow. So just to yes. put it in perspective, a security guard saying please wear a mask is seen as more tyrannical than Julius Caesar. Oh, God. Uh, I, I, at least it was a, a security guard, and that was kind of like part of his duty is to enforce the laws like now. Retail workers are forced to enforce those laws on their like little tiny wages, and it's just well, it's I don't really think a security not... guard is making much more than the cashier, like at the Dollar Tree or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. So I wouldn't want to die that way. Can you imagine if that's your legacy? You got stabbed at the dollar store for asking someone to wear a mask. Asking to wear a mask, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. I always wonder in the afterlife if everybody sits around and talks how they die. And then people like get made fun of. It's like, you got hit by a fucking ice cream truck? Come on, dude. Really? That's how you died? Like, I wonder if it's embarrassing um, to get the whatever afterlife and talk about how you died. Like, you're sitting around with a bunch of heroic firemen who, like, died in a fire saving puppies. And you got stabbed for, like, enforcing the dress code at a Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, you know, you go in it thinking, you know, you take a job like that. You're not thinking you're going to go in and get stabbed. But. That's one of the risks you take, especially in today's time. I mean, it, could you it imagine, dude? It, should, that, it shouldn't surprise anybody that that dude took that job like five years ago, and they said, "Now you might get stabbed twenty-seven times for asking someone to wear a mask during a pandemic." Think how fucking crazy yeah, right? that would have <laughs> sound five years ago. <laughs> My man took that job and was like, "I need a probably need a second job to get through. This is the easiest way to be sitting around 
a little yeah, change. Yeah, for sure. Pay eighty-eight yeah, cents on the all the items with my like twelve percent employee discount. Yep, and this happens. Yeah. Oh my God, it's tragic. All right. Um, I don't want to get too morbid on Halloween. I did want to ask Adele. Um, <laughs> what's up with trick or treating this year? I guess it's canceled, or is there a trunk or treat, or how's that working in the city? Yeah, that's tough. Um, I know. Uh, some pe- places are doing like trunk or treats, but they're doing them sort of like what like my church is doing, where it's um they're setting up uh <clears throat> you know how you go and look at Christmas decorations, so right. they'll they'll have like all kinds of things out because we have a a pretty big property, so they'll have things out in the field out in this field, and then um, we have a bunch of volunteers who are are you know decorating their trucks or the cars and stuff, and um, usually what happens is is we um, change our church into like a like a haunted like maze or a walkthrough or some sort of theme thing. And then at the end you get candy. But what they're doing this year is basically you just drive in and you drive through the parking lot and you can look at all this stuff and look at all the trunks. And then when you come out, they'll ask you to either a, you know, pop your trunk and they'll put candy. Like they have a bag made for the kids. Or well, that's cool, dude. I mean, much yeah, better than so, I was thinking. Like everybody was gonna like zoom in, zoom trick or treat, and then they mail you like a fucking Nestle Crunch bar or something. And you <laughs> no, <get a> replay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here you go. No, um, but most places. That's what we've seen. Um, I know the uh, we're going to one where it's in a neighborhood, and they have it pretty set. They have it set up pretty. I mean, they've always have a killer. Um halloween setup but it's all broken off so and apparently they're doing it more so where they're going to have everything in the bags and you just come by and you pick it up instead of them handing it to you and um and stuff like that but trying to trying to make it as distant as possible but i don't see any uh i don't see people just walking around opening the doors and handing out at least we won't be doing that just because of everything so unfortunately all right, well, we're ready to get things started. Let me tell you about tonight, man. Three of the four artists on tonight have new albums and new videos out, and they are just fucking incredible. And yeah. 2020 has been an outside down nightmarish fucking hellscape of political and social upheaval. But the music, as in Turbulent Times tends to produce, has been outstanding this year, man. Have you seen how many people are coming out? Rob Zombie's coming out with a new album after years. Like, all these bands. Mr. Bungle just released something. It is fucking crazy. Um, Dave Grohl, what's he in? Uh, 137 bands now? He releases a new album every other day? Yep, it feels like it, doesn't it? He's part of something all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, dude. That guy must sleep one hour a night and just makes music all day, every day. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It's well, 2020 was a 2020 was supposed to like, if you had looked at all of the bands that were playing, so, you know, it it marked some sort of anniversary for whatever album they put out. So that was going to be the the touring this uh, for 2020 was going to be all incredible. Um, we had tickets to a few things that unfortunately got canceled. We were going to go and see, um, this is, this is, a uh, this is a, a, a weekend for you. We were going to see Hall and Oates on, on uh Friday night. And then I was taking my son to see the Deftones the next night. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how crazy it was. It was like back to back nights. And then of course, you know, uh, you had like all these bands that like you were saying, that just came out with incredible stuff that, like, for example, my favorite band, one of my favorite bands, Hum, they put out an album. They didn't put out an album in 22 years. And they just dropped an album. Like, they literally were like, we released an album. And you're like, what? Wait a minute. This is... Oh, it. And it was all new. All new stuff. And um, 
and it was good. It was really That's good. That's the one and, silver um, lining, as music usually is, yeah. especially during trying times like these, is the music. I mean, you know, some of the best punk came out of the Reagan era. Yes, yes. Oh, definitely. Most sure. definitely. Yeah. So, all right, D, um, do you want to tell everyone where to find us before we get our first spooky guest in tonight? And I have to say, I feel kind of bad for you, D, because Halloween really is your holiday. And we are stuck in the house, nothing to really do. You've decorated the house, though, even though we're not doing anything. Well, I brought out a couple of things. I've got a cauldron downstairs, but I mean, if it was just up on. to me, I would have written like "boo" on a can of soup, and that would have been the extent of my decorating this year. Yeah, that's, right. that's basically <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know, it, and it's funny because the scariest thing is something I would not wish to rec- recreate. And that is uh, Trump supporters without masks. Um, anyway, so yeah, tonight's first spooky guest. And a will come thousand, in a, um, a thousand downloads just like angrily turned off, like everybody's exiting in Spotify right now. Yes. Well, in case you're not finding us on Spotify and you're finding us in some other crazy place, um, like iPod, you know, Apple Music, and things like that, um, we're all over the place. You can also find us at musicalosmosis.com. We're also on Facebook and all the things. Um, not so much like instant Twitter. That's more of our p- personal things, which you should totally check out because I'm coming up with all kinds of cool masks and now I'm doing shoes. So go check it out. You got your newsletter too, right? Your newsletter, don't you got the newsletter too? Yes, you can sign up at musicalosmosis.com and basically every time something changes, you'll know about it. Yeah, and D writes really good, um, like really Mm -hmm. upbeat, happy, look forward to stuff newsletters. If it was me, I'd be like fucking Hunter Thompson, like with a bottle of scotch, like (laughs) ranting about politics. Oh, by the way, did I tell you we do music too? Like it's good (laughs) she writes the fucking newsletter. Yeah, you would, but it's all good. All righty, tonight's first guest is the cosmically bewitching guitarist and vocalist of Death Valley Girls, a band that, in my opinion, serves as the apotheosis of infinite thought and metaphysical sound. Here to talk about her new album and my favorite album of 2020 under the spell of joy a awesome human being that i'm honored to call our friend bonnie bloom garden is here to spread halloween cheer hi oh my gosh i can't believe you like the record that's so cool <laughs> thank you like that's awesome the it's a great album like the record my god let me tell you something man <laughs> There are records. Let me kind of give you the lowdown here. There are albums. There are albums you listen to. There are albums like a Ben's Fold album that's really technical that you kind of dissect and break down the musical acumen of. Um, There are albums that you just kind of straight rock out to. Every once in a while, an album comes out that you experience. And under the spell of joy, at least for me, was an album that I experienced. I literally lay down, close my eyes <laughs> in the dark, put this album on and fucking experience it. I posted about this the other wow. day. It really is my favorite album of 2020 so far. That's so cool. Thank you so much. That really, really means everything. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you guys for putting it together. I mean, you could meditate to this album really. Yeah, good. That, that That's how we found it in the, you know, that's how we channeled it was through meditation. So I hope it works on the other end. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, and I mean, I want to write a review. I'm going to try to write a review this week for the album, stick it up on our site if I can get into time. My daughter's coming home on the 5th, so I'm going to be oh, a busy uh, little bee getting things set up here. But um, yeah. I'm going to try to do a review because I think people need to hear this album. I want to actually, I need, Dee, we need to make a shirt that says, I experienced under the spell of joy. <laughs> That's so cool. I like it. So, okay, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some other things but since we kind of already jumped into your new album out this year under the spell of joy can you walk us through the process of creating this album because once again this album is more of like a spiritual guidebook than it is your yeah. typical straightforward rock and roll <laughs> yeah well for a while I, i've been obsessed with the concept of under the spell of joy um we saw it on a t-shirt of a band called it just blew my mind just that the concept of joy um i just I, let me I interrupt you real to... quick does that band know yeah. you used that t-shirt slogan for your album name oh yeah of course we asked them we asked them for their blessing and everything and they were super into it they're like yeah, a i was metal gonna say band, i bet so. they were stoked oh that's awesome that's yeah, great yeah they were so cool because i was really scared i mean ever you want to you know you well, you you want to have the right record title, I guess, is the most important thing. But you also want to make it up. So it was weird that it was the right exact title for our life and our record and uh, and somebody else's, you know, concepts. But then they realized, like, it completely changed my life and everything we did. And, and it changed the way that I, I led my life is trying to lead it from, like, a perspective of joy rather than, like, fear or impulsivity or boredom or anything i was just like what if like i try and bring joy to everything and it just like was the most transformative thing so we knew what the record was about um we knew the record was about forcing people to be joyous but we just didn't know anything else um and so spent like three months in silence and with no media, not listening to anything really, um, reading some books and listening. Holy to shit. How did you do mm-hmm. no media in this day and age? You must've went like completely <laughs> Amish or something. Well, I mean, we're, we had been on tour every other month for like three years and we knew that we were going to have the longest amount of time off of tour, which was supposed to start, um, last December and go until like March. Um, which is crazy that, you know, that was going to be the longest amount of time we've ever been at home. Um, and so I knew I was going to have to change the way I live my life. Cause usually when we get home from tour, I just cocoon and don't do anything and, you know, just, uh, just recharge time away. Yeah. Recharge. That's right. right. I'm, I apologize. You're right. It, it It's necessary, but I knew if I did that for over one month, it would be unnecessary. And I knew, you know, so it's just like, I knew I had to try and figure out a better way to live my life. You know, just everyone that, that occurs to, uh, what a great opportunity. Um, so I, but I knew we were going to record the record in March. Um, and, and I knew it was supposed to make people, uh, learn or feel joyous. And we knew we wanted it to be a record for people to sing to, um, cause singing is so good for you. And, and we realized that these songs would live with us and we would sing them like hundreds of times. So if there was words we could find that had so much meaning, um, we could make the, 
everything, a, you know, better experience uh, if we had more meaningful words. And so I just spent, so yeah, like three months trying to channel it, but like trying my hardest not to work hard, just trying my hardest to manifest it <laughs> so I wouldn't have to write it. Um, and I believe that that's what happened. <laughs> it sounds like you birthed the album in a sense. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I like, it was complete. I mean, I didn't, my, it sounds silly, but my, um, belief in the universe and in like spirit guides and in being guided and in this flow, um, I, I'm a hundred percent positive that we are, you know, all connected and we're being guided. And I'm so fortunate that I tapped into that, uh, to make this record. And I'm so fortunate I didn't have to do any of the heavy lifting, you know, it just happens. Um, and I'm so grateful because if we had spent, you know, if we didn't, we stopped recording like a day before lockdown. And if we had not gotten this out of our body, um, I don't know how I would have handled this whole time. I feel like we're so lucky we had this tangible thing that was going to come out in October to keep our spirits like higher than they've ever been, you know? So, wow. um, so I, that's what, I yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, brought that up that you got that out before lockdown. Cause I was going to ask how did, how did that affect that? Like, I didn't know, you know, for, I mean, you, you just said it. So that's all, that's a blessing. Uh, yeah, that you were able to yeah. do that before all of this craziness happened. Um, because, um, I think it, you know, things may have changed a little bit if, if you were recording this during, um, uh, oh, yeah. you know, all the, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know how I would have handled it. Cause I, I mean, it's very hard for everyone. And I think like I'm right. uh, prone to like, um, extreme feelings and extreme emotions. And, uh, I, I'm really lucky, really lucky that I got to learn patience and like learn all these things in the last few months, because, you know, usually we have, I mean, we have, we're supposed to leave for tour in Europe in five days, <laughs> you know, it's like, usually we have so many things to look forward to that are tangible, specific, um, every month. So to be like, mm -hmm. you don't have anything to look forward to for a year. I don't, I don't know how I don't like, I, I can be so positive about everything because I was so lucky in that way. You know what I mean? Like, cause I'm just like, Oh, I've used this time to learn and like, um, and be still and, and be quiet right. and not do media and not watch any TV, which I'm starting to get upset with myself about, but you know, it's like, I didn't have this very obvious thing to look forward to. I don't, I, you know, I think I would be struggling, <laughs> deeply but struggling. Let's expand on that though, because we're leasing and, and three of the four guests tonight have new albums that have come out over the last few weeks. We're leasing an album during COVID and then not being able to go just crazy touring on it and be like, sing along to this beautiful thing, especially putting an album out like this. I mean, there had to be some apprehension going into it, right? Knowing that, or some disappointment even, knowing you weren't going to be able to immediately tour on this. I mean, well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's our job, and that's also 90% of our income, so it's tour. So right. it's, uh, it's a literal thing, but I don't care at all. Sorry, Suicide Squeeze, but, like, I just wanted <laughs> this record to come out. Like, I didn't care. After, honestly, after we heard the 
each step I've just been so thankful and grateful for, which is bizarre. Like (laughs) I'm not like, you know, some Buddha guy or something, but it's like literally once we recorded, I was like, I cannot believe we pulled that together. We didn't have any songs a week ago. Like, I can't believe we found kids to sing on it. I can't believe we have sex. Like everything just landed so perfectly right when it needed to that, when once it was mixed and mastered, I was like, you know what? I don't care. I made it. It happened. All I wanted was a record. And then when we saw the actual record and it was prettier than I could have imagined, I was like, oh my God, it's real. So it's just, you know, it's been this thing every step. I've been just like, I, it, it will never not be there. It doesn't really matter what happens in the future. Like, of course, we have to completely think of a different way to, um, uh, you know, market for our, it as, and as get the company. word out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as a company, mm-hmm. it's. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually thankful for that, too, because it's gotten to a point now where, and I don't think people realize this, but it's like, it's literally gotten to the point where we have to pay for our shows. Like, we have to pay to produce any of these shows where we ask people to buy tickets for. It's not like this magical thing where um, yeah, just puts their phone up and like, there it is. Here you go. If you guys pay for it, that's great. It's like, it costs lots of money. And it's good because it finally took that that like ridiculousness for me to sort of realize like we need to get paid every day we don't we shouldn't just get paid to play shows like we're a band i work Mm -hmm. at this every day and i need to i need to think of creative ways to start getting us all paid because i you know i gotta i gotta get the money for all of us (laughs) so absolutely um, yeah i'm glad this all i mean i'm not glad that's that's opposite of truth but i'm I'm I I'm hearing what's happening and I'm I'm willing to change and and we needed to anyways like it's not you shouldn't have to be on the road um to make money you know and to and to barely make money it's not a good system um that's and, for sure yeah that's needed to change so now and what's now, crazy now really needs to. And I didn't yeah. realize this. And here's a crazy thing with the music system. And TV has the same system. Like if you watch something on demand on television or on streaming, it doesn't count towards the Nielsen ratings. And the same aspect, I remember a few years ago, and I, I don't imagine this has changed since. Sebastian Bach from Skid Row was like, I have 100,000 fans on here, but only 8,000 people bought our album. And I was like, holy shit, I wonder where that album is. And they were like number 11 on the Billboard chart. And I was like, God, you could sell 8,000 hard copy albums now and be on the Billboard chart. Why? Because Billboard's so fucking archaic. They don't take in (laughs) digital downloads in their their algorithm, in their calculations of album sales. They don't include anything digital. They're still including, like, this is 1987. Go to the record store and buy a CD sale. So, of course, Skid Row's hitting number 11, selling 8,000 CDs. Because no one buys CDs anymore. It's it's crazy they haven't updated that system to me. Wow. Yeah, that is that. <laughs> somebody needs to send them a memo. <laughs> you think? Yeah. I'll get right on that. I gotta say another thing too, man. I've been seeing insane amount of reviews. You just put up a review from Pitchfork yes. yesterday. Awesome review. Oh, the the amount so of crazy. stellar feedback. Were you getting this kind of um? feedback and reviews and all this on your other albums or have you just taken it to the next level as far as attention to this album i don't i mean maybe it's a slow news day i don't know yeah there's been so much stuff definitely for this i think we 
I mean, we learned a lot too. Like we made a lot of videos and a lot of different stuff like leading up to it. So most of the stuff like that uh, is, is out already. And I think that had some effect on people getting excited in advance. But yeah, I don't know. People are being really nice. And I think like, I think it's because people, you know, like a lot of the songs are about, um, just helping you through different situations like i'm sure all songs are but this i've been pretty clear about like what to use this song for what to use that song for and i think i don't know i think people like it right now and need it right now um and i think it was a good time too i I have some friends that release stuff like right at the beginning of quarantine and it was like there was just too much going on it was too scary no one wanted to celebrate no one knew how to celebrate and i think it's this, it's finally time sort of like in the last month or so where it's like, dude, we got to celebrate something, you know, like, yeah, yes, yes, we must, you know? And so it's like, I I think we're really lucky. It came out when it did. Um, Well, you've got one new fan here, Mormo Zine, who's our special co-host tonight. He goes way back in the punk community and Mormo, you were just sending me back a bunch of positive feedback about death Valley girls. Yeah, they're great. They remind me of some of my favorite bands like um, <clears throat> My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult and kind of Psychic TV cool. some of my favorite like cool. bands. <laughs> so what was your original fill-in? So what was your original fill-in, Mormon, when you first put this album on? Did you have that experience like I did? Um, Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I love the metaphysicalness of it, and it kind of makes me feel the way that like um the occult and metaphysics make me feel and stuff it's like a religious experience or something cool <laughs> yeah uh, you know i would say the way i did it, <laughs> hey nick you know it's funny uh bonnie when i first because i i put it like when i listen to new music or whatever i always just pop it into google play or whatever and let it play so like i put it on i put on like uh your like your radio station basically and the song came on and i'm like wait a minute who is this and then i went and i, I was like oh my gosh <laughs> so it made me go back and actually i was like you guys like and then it was funny because um like nick just mentioned reading the pitchfork review and i think um spin too gave gave you guys a really glowing review and i was like that's it they hit it right on the head with their description of your album it was, Can it was, I say it was this it's really good odell Odell tested, uh-huh. Mormo approved. That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's been Odell tested, Mormo approved. Cool. Check it out. How would Pitchfork? That's got to be the best review you ever got in your life. I mean, we've been trying to avoid Pitchfork. Like our, we were like so happy that they didn't write anything before. Honestly, we were like, thank God. Like, because it, you know, it it has actually ruined like friends of ours where they've just it's like taken the all the air out of their project to just get, you know, and like, they're not, they don't. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Rock and roll. Yeah. So we were just like, okay, cool. Thank God we dodged that bullet. And then to get like a good review and like such a lucky number of like seven, you know, it's just like, Oh my God. You know, I started crying, honestly, which is funny, but, and I I, (laughs) never cry, but, and I've, I don't know if I've ever cried from happiness before, but, it was like a, just like were you under the spell of, of joy i think i was a new kind of joy just it was i couldn't believe it you know that's a big deal i mean we're like a small band so that's a really big deal to be in pitchfork at all and to get like something so nice that explains it 
so well is really, you know, and, and every little thing anybody does right now is so meaningful because it's, it's, it's out of our hands how it gets delivered. You know, we can't, we're not in control. We can't go somewhere every night carrying our record and selling it to individual people and making friends with them. Like we need, we need everyone's help more now, you know, like that's just oh, so yeah. cool that they did that. Cause it seems like a lot of things in the world right now are just catering to like pushing everything in one direction. Like, and that direction is just to the top and giving like all the money to the artists that already have it. And like giving all the mm-hmm. attention to people that already have it and all this stuff. And so for them and for anyone to give us attention it's like it's just cool <laughs> you know it's it's just cool there's no other reason to do it and that rules um and it really means a lot can we get um philosophical here for a moment bonnie oh my god please all righty put, put your <laughs> boots on kids we're about to get philosophical so yeah. your album it touches a lot on unity and a lot of what you speak about usually does um connection with others this whole universal thing do you feel like with this COVID, the toxic election coming up this whole era do you kind of feel and everybody chime in please do you kind of feel like we're ushering in like this great awakening because of how just tense everything is that and this political fever is going to eventually break and usher in something new or do you feel like we're on the edge of some kind of fucking collapse and we better get our Mad Max no, no, outfits out. No. I think we should get those outfits out for sure. But I definitely 100% think that exactly how you described it. It's like you get a fever because your body is trying to fight something off. And we're, we have this fever. And it's like there's all of this stuff needed to happen. The system wasn't working. And like, it, it, you know, and, and not that it's going to completely get fixed in either in any way very soon but like the way kids have shown up like the way that people are talking the way people are thinking like the way my uh, i live with my nephews the way they're talking about all this stuff and perceiving stuff and like particularly like with like gender and race stuff and looking at it in a whole new way um i think is bad you know fighting needs to happen sometimes i don't believe in fighting but i'm watching this and I'm seeing that, you know what, sometimes it does. And, um, and you, you know, and we're uniting and we're fighting. And I think if this is any, uh, this makes anybody feel any better is the um, of abductee and contactee UFO people, the community I'm a part of. I'm not, um, an, like, I've not been abducted, but I'm part of a support group for people that have been. And they all say that all of the aliens and everybody are talking about how like there was this like need and shift of consciousness that's starting right now Mm -hmm. and they all how everyone's making that joke like how come the psychics didn't see what was going to happen in 2020 and it's like the joke is is that they did like they were like this year is the most major year of shift and change and like when they were talking about it it wasn't yeah they didn't say like okay there's this you know pandemic that's going to go across the whole wide world but they did know there was going to be a shift in consciousness. And the reality of the situation is that we have grown complacent, like just so many things, lazy, selfish, um, and, and not been open-minded. And there is the opportunity now, even if not everyone takes it, but the opportunity to realize that we are experiencing something that everyone in the world is experiencing. 
everyone right now yeah. is aware of their body and this possibility of either keeping other people safe or possibly endangering other people's lives. And the decisions you make in that is, is huge and makes a huge difference on how you view yourself and how you view others. And that's, that's confusing and crazy and bizarre, but it's like, this is, this is a completely unifying thing. And it's an opportunity to see what really is important. And like the way we treat ourselves actually matters for the way we treat others. And I don't think there's ever been such a, yeah, and a clear, a clear representation of, of like, of doing the right thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so clear to me at least now. And I think that's a great opportunity. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully that I, I believe this is the beginning of, of complete yeah, growth for sure. Um, well, I hope you're right, like, man. You don't think so? No, I mean, I think it's possible, but I also think we could just quickly go into the other, um, degree as well in the other direction. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you're going to go as quickly. I don't think it's a quick thing. I think it's just, it doesn't matter if you go in that direction or not, but you are aware of it. That's number one. Like you can't, I think for so long people were hiding the facts and trying to hide behind so many different things. But like Bonnie was saying, I think this has affected everybody. This has affected everybody of all races, of all genders. I mean, it's, it's to the point now that you can, like, like you've said, uh, Nick, a few times, you, 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 you see what's going on. You, you have the, the wherewithal to see if you choose to, to be on the side of ignorance or be on the side of resistance, then, um, that's on you. But I, I think change is happening. I think, you know, of course, a lot of people are, it's that tug of war thing. You know, people don't want to see change or they're trying to, but it's out there. It's, it's, it's so blatantly obvious that, um, that's what I think is so frustrating that like you were saying, Bonnie, like you, you see it, it's there, you know, it's there, but people are like, no, no, but no, it is. Uh, I don't want to no. just to interject. It is transformative yeah. in a way that they say during the civil war, not one American was untouched by the civil war. Every single American had someone close exactly. to them die. And I feel yeah. like in yeah. 10 years, they're going to be like in the, in the COVID era, not one person like made it out of the COVID era without having someone close to them die or getting or losing yeah. their job or being like impacted or getting involved in some kind of political upheaval. Like every single person, no one's getting out of this completely unscathed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One, yeah. You hit it right on yeah, that. I mean, it would be way cooler if it was like, and it'd be, yeah, it'd be cooler if there was like <laughs> a situation where it felt like someone was protecting us or keeping us safe or, um, you know, or, or something like that, that we could all agree on, but that's, it's just, I think these extremes, um, are, are the last one, when, when society wants to change or a majority of society wants to change and it doesn't, then things like this happen where it's just, it seems like complete chaos, completely horrible, you know, government, everything totally backwards. And then, you know, even if it breaks a little bit, that's good, but it's, what's going on now is very bad. You know, it's not, there's no other way of looking at it. This is a very, very poorly run situation. Everything is, is, is bad and it is not run well. And I don't, this is not the type of government I like. Um, I do not agree in this system, but I think that um, it's just, it's, it is the way it is. It needs to change. And, um, and even if it's not like, you know, within the next, 
two months or whatever that by next week in three months it doesn't change uh at all it it will within our lifetime because it can't stay like this it's not oh boy it, you're it, right it just, about that yeah Amen. it just can't stay like this it's just not it's not even it can't sustainable. It sustain itself yeah right. it's not sustainable in this time like you know people it's not okay it's a lot different because this is so weird too, and 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 it relates to the record is that on New Year's Eve, for some reason, before any of this stuff, I watched Outbreak and Contagion, um, which is mm. like just very <laughs> bizarre, you know, like wait, what? Like why did I watch that? And lots of little hints here and there at what was coming, but it's like in those movies, it's it's this there's a safety in it because it's the sickness that you know you have it immediately, you get sick, and very soon you die, and that's that's what it looks like. But this is a very complicated thing where most people don't know they have it and all the stuff. And it takes, um, it takes having, you know, uh, professional scientists and doctors and like people that have studied this and like, are, you know, like overly, um, cautious, uh, to solve a problem like this, not the opposite. So, Something's, you know, it's just we just all have to do our part to stay safe, and and if for no other reason than so that like I can have my job back, you know, <laughs> like I can't right. I can't have my job back until everybody agrees that everybody else's health matters the most. Um, there's no other way around it. It's not like yeah, it's not like you get sick and then that's it. It's you get sick and you don't you could affect tons of people and not know. So. For sure, I like man. to play concerts and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want to mm-hmm. hug my friends. I want to sing with my friends. You know, we have, yeah, we had a kid's choir on the record. I want to sing with them live. Like, oh, yeah. You know, that yeah. was like the most fun time I've ever had. And I, I need to do it again. <laughs> Can I refocus um, this a little bit? And then we're going to start yeah. wrapping things up here. Oh, uh, yeah. I just want to refocus this question a little bit to more relevant to music. Do you feel like COVID has realigned the music industry? And what's what's post-COVID going to look like in the music industry? I know it's changed a lot. Like, hey, we can work from home now. That's actually something that can yeah. happen. Hey, you know, these people that everybody shit on for years, these retail workers, are actually deemed essential now. Like, it's realigned our thinking on so many things. Health. I mean, people yeah. are going to be obsessively using hand sanitizer until 2030, no matter what happens. Yeah. Um, do you think it's realigned the music industry in a way? And if it has, what does it look like post-COVID, do you think? I think that's a really good question. <laughs> um, and I have no idea. It's like, I have no idea. I, I haven't, I'm just trying to think about now, not to, not like on purpose, but it's so hard to imagine what it's going to look like. Um, because I don't know, I guess it's like when we play in Europe and we play in like Czech Republic or places that, um, had like communism. And so they used to have parties in, like these like dungeons in the basement and you know party all night lock the door at like 12 a.m and not open it again till like 9 a.m i mean maybe it'll (laughs) go underground i have no idea what's going to happen but um we all are going to have to find out and we're all going to have to do it together and maybe it'll also be something like europe where um like the country like values art and the arts um so it pays for it um because it's essential you know (laughs) because 
because art is essential to culture. Yes, and yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Everything. And it brings so much money to, you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I bet California gets a lot of their money from entertainment industry. Like, oh, probably yeah. it would be in everyone's best interest to maintain that uh, source of uh, <laughs> wealth or whatever. But, yeah, I feel like that might be a good change is that the arts need funding because, um, yeah, because people are home now and kids can learn instruments and they're going to need, you know, alternates to being playing on teams. I don't know. <laughs> I did, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Body is I not a know. scientist. I think you got a pretty good grasp on it, though. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Let me Thank do a fan you. question and then we're going to play a song off the new album. Our buddy Terry Jack, he runs these really cool um groups on facebook and he's always such a great help when we put shows like this together and he had a question he runs the uh, ugly pop and a skating poly fan group on facebook uh, cool so this is from terry jack i have two questions okay. for bonnie what is the story okay. behind iggy pop appearing in your video disaster is what we're after <laughs> and who would you like to collaborate <laughs> in who would you like to collaborate with in the future well both of the answers are the same are about the same person, so I'll answer the second one first. Iggy Pop, I would like to collaborate <laughs> with him. Um, or Ronnie Spector, honestly, I would love to be your backup singer. I, if there's any, if, if anyone <laughs> knows how to tell her, I want to be her backup singer. Um, and <laughs> like she has a person backup sing and play acoustic guitar, so I'll take that job. Uh, if 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 she'll have consider me. this your but, job interview for that position <laughs> there you go <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay cool that's I, that would be my dream my biggest dream um but yeah is iggy our friend had a dream that iggy was um doing that video that warhol video where it's andy warhol eating a hamburger and she had a dream yeah. that it was iggy so she contacted Iggy and told him, and he had been playing our songs on his radio show, which is crazy that he even knows the name of our band. And then... Um, Let me stop you real yeah. quick. How did you find yeah. out he was playing your songs on his radio show? Did someone call and tell you, or did you run across it? Oh, my gosh. It's so unbelievable. But on my birthday, we were in Austin, Texas, like maybe four three years ago and Larry was about to go start practice with Rocky Erickson and his band, which we thought was the biggest <laughs> manifesting dream come true. And it was my birthday and we were getting ready to go drop Larry off and meet Rocky Erickson. And I look at my phone and it says like, Oh, you got a tweet or something. And I looked at my phone and there was like a tweet on Twitter that said the name Iggy pop, and then said, Death Valley Girls are a gift to the world. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Holy shit. Um, so we found out that <laughs> way. And I was like, it was my birthday. So I thought, oh, probably someone paid him. Like, there's no way this, you know, it was like someone paid him or this is a prank or like, I don't, someone. You thought Twitter. Iggy Pop might be punking <laughs> you? Yeah, I did. Yes, I, I didn't think it was the, the idea that he said our band name didn't seem like. A possibility it definitely it's it was it would be the last guess um but he knew it and so yeah our friend kansas uh wrote him and he he liked the idea um and then so we got to meet him in florida 
and he did the video and yeah, it was crazy. It it was, uh, there's, it's so hard to describe uh, a glory that great, but uh, he how did you keep the fandom down? How did you keep the fandom down during all, the whole process of like, I mean, I know there's a moment where y'all, I mean, oh, does he? No, he's just like, he has this energy. I mean, like I, he didn't know you're going to be there. And I heard like Kansas went outside to get him and she said, Oh, the band is here. And I heard him say like, Oh, I didn't know the girls were coming, you know, like in his like super low voice. And my heart yeah. stopped and I didn't know if it was ever going to start again. But once he came in, <laughs> he, his energy just felt so good. And like, it was like almost like, sipping hot cocoa or it was like so reassuring and chill like I sat next to him and it wasn't I like I helped him tie his tie you know like it wasn't it wasn't like something where it was like oh we're the same it was definitely like this is this is God and his vibes are chill <laughs> you know like he just he just That's felt awesome. so good to be around and it was like a electrical buzz that we had for like like seven to ten days just this feeling of like you know, like his actual presence, like, I don't know how to describe it, but I mean, you were just letting it, the Iggy pop wash over you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You were sucked into his orbit. You're like a yeah. little satellite around planet yeah. pop. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. I like that visual that works. Yeah. All <laughs> Thank right. you. Let's play a new song off under the spell of joy. I gotta tell you, man, I had a difficult time picking my favorite song off this. And when I picked it, I didn't even really know why this one eked out as my favorite over all the others because I love this Ooh. album so much. But what my favorite it? song is, are you ready? Can I, can I build yeah. the suspense? We'll tell yes. you right after this commercial break. <laughs> So my favorite song is Hey Dina. Do you want to tell us anything oh, about this before we play it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That song is for my sister. Her name is Dina. Um, and it, that song was shooting in my mind for like, I don't know, a, a while before we even started writing. And I thought it was saying, hey, Athena. And I was like, Athena? Like, I've never thought about that god goddess before why is this such a clear signal and then when i realized it was hey dina i like was outside and i was like oh like really loud while walking and <laughs> everyone looked at me it was pretty pretty amazing moment to realize like yeah you wrote your best friend a song without even having to do anything <laughs> so yeah right that's, on. That's, that's a perfect funny. segue oh yeah and her sons sing on it so my nice. Nephew, oh, well, yeah. there you go. That's the vibe <laughs> I was probably picking up. Under the spell of joy, under the spell of love, under the spell of joy, under the spell of love, under the spell of joy, under the spell of love, under the spell of joy, under the spell of love.
Alrighty, we are back with Bonnie Bloom Garden, and we're going to do some Halloween goodness before we get out of here. I got some Halloween questions for you, Bonnie. Are you ready? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> All right, these are just random questions I came up with. Let's have some fun. All right, one, do you remember your very first Halloween costume? I was a turtle. I do remember. I was a turtle, and I had like a pillow back. But it had like um, octagon uh, <laughs> sewn on it. Um, yeah, I do remember. <laughs> Brilliant. And what was this like? Um, kindergarten, first grade? Yeah, around there. I was a, well. I was in a play. I was a turtle in the play, uh, and so I got to use that costume for Halloween. <laughs> nice. Okay. Have you ever competed in a Halloween or costume contest? Oh no. No, I haven't. I wish. <laughs> All right, let's try to bring the momentum back up here then. Favorite Halloween moment. <laughs> it doesn't have to be music related. Just give me your favorite Halloween moment. Oh, my God. We played with Rocky Erickson for two Halloweens. Um, nice. Those are definitely the highlights. No other possible highlight. All right, favorite Halloween candy. What's your go-to? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite? Oh, God. I would have to say Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I'm an addict when it comes Amen. to Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's mine too. I'm down. <laughs> Mormo, do you eat do you eat like jack o' lantern faces into your Reese's peanut butter cups around Halloween like the commercial suggests? <laughs> I do, and I'm diabetic, so I shouldn't, but I yeah, Reese's are my weakness for for sure. It sounds like um, all your next projects should get Reese's to endorse you then. You're risking your life to eat Reese's. <laughs> What's yeah, more for dedication sure. than that? all right last um i don't know if it's really a question but let's wrap this up with a ghost story as i know death valley girl probably had death valley girls probably have many ghost stories why don't last time you had told us about the seance why don't you give us a different ghost story this time did we tell you we went to the um like two doors down on cielo drive to the right below the tate uh polanski house we went to this house on Cielo Drive that's like three doors down, and um, we thought we were going to just kind of like talk to Sharon or something, not in a mean way, but we just, we were like, well, we're paranormal investigators. We have to go if given this opportunity. Um, but we went there, and actually, that it's just this portal that um, the, the, the dead come through and spirits come through to talk to people. So when we got there, Lilia, the psychic who rules, was just like, asked us uh, if there was anyone we wanted to talk to. And I was like, I don't want my grandma or anyone I know that's died to know I'm doing this. Like, I don't want them to see me at, like, doors down from this gruesome murder and think, like, I'm, you know, like, morbid, sick, like, bad yeah. person. Yeah, exactly. Morbid person. And so she was asking all of us, uh, come on, you guys, like, we were sitting at this seance table and none of us wanted to say anybody because we were too scared they the dead would judge us and then finally she was just like looked at one of us and was like um she's like why am i getting why am i getting a car and he who she was talking to our friend knew exactly what she was talking about we didn't know about this until later but she was like why am i something about a car and he was like yes and he she was like yeah she she basically what happened is that our friend's cousin um got into a fight with her boyfriend, got into a car on New Year's Eve uh, while it was rainy and drove off a cliff. 
Um, oh my they God. couldn't oh, find wow. her for a week. Yeah. And so she, the psychic Lilia said, she's really mad at you. And I was like, what the heck? Like, you're not supposed to tell someone that their dead relative <laughs> is mad at them. And that's when we realized she's a hundred percent legit psychic. Like who would say that unless they were totally certain. Uh, and then afterwards he told us about his cousin, which we had never heard that story. Um, so that's, that's one of our many ghost stories. Is that okay? <laughs> I think that is a great is one to great. wrap it up with. Al, <laughs> Mormo is very much in the paranormal world. We'll let Mormo be the final arbitrator of this. What do you think, Mormo? Good ghost story? Awesome ghost story. That's really scary. <laughs> Does it get two Mormos up? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is that is a ringing endorsement right there. All right. We're going to get you, you out so of here. Much. Um, I want to thank you for calling in and wish you a happy Halloween, yes, of course, thanks. as this happy will be Halloween. Halloween day. Before you go out the door, please tell everybody where to find Death Valley Girls online and how we pick up the new album. Uh, go to online and look up Death Valley Girls. Um, and yeah, and maybe under the spell of joy and it will bring you to one of our, <laughs> our one of our. Uh, social media pages or our label social media page which has the item <laughs> for sale but is that good endorsement of my product <laughs> that'll work okay do we have to defer Sorry. back to mormo mormo is that a good endorsement you're in marketing too what do you think of that endorsement <laughs> yeah it was great i'm gonna buy the album for sure i definitely need a copy so uh, um oh, mormo cool. give us a better endorsement Give us your Mormo endorsement <laughs> of Under the Spell of Joy. Um, it's the must-have album of the of the season, the Halloween season. Yes. Cool. What was it? I I still like Odell tested Mormo approved. But yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I I appreciate it to all of you. What a what a wonderful conversation. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Um, and. And lifting lifting the spirits in this in this season, you know, tis the season to lift the spirits. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, you have a great Halloween, Bonnie. You too. Love you guys. Please. Right back at you. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Alrighty, guys, we're gonna get ready to get the next guest in here. Um, Odell, you're gonna be falling through trap doors all night because you're gonna be in and out. Yes. <laughs> So sometimes we'll have Odell and Mormo. Sometimes we'll have just Mormo co-hosting with me. It's going to be silly and all over the place. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Let's get ready to get our next guest in here. All right. So we're moving right along. Um, Odell has vanished. So I don't think he's going to be back till later on in the episode. I feel like it's um, like Ben Kingsley in Shutter Island. It's as if he evaporated through the walls. Where, where could he be? So I'm we've got Mormo is still hanging out with us, right? Mormo, you're still semi-alive back there, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm hanging in there. And Dee's still in her um, well-decorated, hermetically sealed bubble in the next room. Oh. Pushing all the sanitized magical buttons that keep Somebody's us Somebody's got to do it. Hey, before we get the guest in here, the next guest... This is crazy. I have had, and I just looked this up during the break. I've had Roxanne, the rapper, stuck in my head for the last two days. Do you remember her, Mormo? No, from I don't. From the 80s. 
And and I was um I looked her up on Wikipedia because she was a pretty prominent rapper back in the eighties. I was like, let me look her up and see if she's still alive or performing. What's crazy is is she's fifty, and I thought she'd had to be in, in her sixties because when I was like twelve, she was around. Wow. And then I looked at her history, and she's actually been performing professionally since she was fourteen. Whoa! Oh wow! And, and this is get the, her on the show. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say, dude. I want to get her on the show to talk about her history because you have to remember, man. This isn't a time of like LL Cool J and Run DMC and the inception of rap. I don't even think like NWA was around yet. And yeah. for a fourteen-year-old girl to break into the business and get radio play—that's insane to me. Yeah, Good it was story. hard enough for Criss Cross when I was a kid. Yeah, and that was more early 2000s, right? Late 90s? Yeah. Crisscross, jump or Early jump. 90s, yeah, yeah. Early 90s, maybe? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, man. I just, I, I looked that up just a few minutes ago, and I was blown away that she's only a year older than me. That seems crazy. I would have thought for sure she was a lot older. Right. But, yeah, so that's my next goal. That and Flaming Lips, man. Flaming Lips, dude. Yes. I've been reading a lot of crazy articles with their singer, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to get that dude on the show. Yes. So it's good to have goals. Yes, I think so. And speaking of goals, let's move on to tonight's next guest. Tonight's next guest is an author, monster hunter, filmmaker, and musician, and also the true grit guitarist and vocalist of the psychobilly rock band Ghoul Town. Here to talk about the band's new album, Curse of El Dorado, and his new book, Boggy Creek Casebook, our pal, Mr. Lyle Blackburn. Lyle! Happy Halloween and happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you very much. Good to, good to be back on the show. Yeah, man. I didn't know until the other day when we had you in our artist spotlight that your birthday is actually right around Halloween. Yeah, it's it's uh, October 23rd, so I thought I was, you know, I was born one week before Halloween roughly, so, you know, that was perfect. I had a little time to prepare for that first Halloween, get my costume together, so it it worked perfectly. Yeah, my daughter's birthday is the 24th. She's one day after you. Awesome. October birthdays, you know, they're awesome. So as um, somebody who's kind of so steeped in that Monster Hunter world, do you do a double birthday Halloween thing? Are you able to split it up or is everything kind of outshined by Halloween around your birthday? What does that usually look like? Well, yeah, October is usually like so busy because, you know, being in a ghoulish band and, uh, you know, writing monstrous books, there's a lot of events. And then I, I try to do a, a birthday party, but I try to do that before Halloween. And then Halloween, you know, I can just do something else there. So I try to try to split it up by, by having traditionally a party over at the house for my birthday. But in these last few years, it's been really hard to do just because, you know, this events and stuff going on it's like if i wish you know every month was october man i'd be booming haha <laughs> well let me tell you man like um we always kind of start to show off asking how artists especially artists who are coming out with albums during this time are dealing with covid personally and as a musical unit and a lot of people have kind of retreated and they're like, I'm taking a break from music or whatever, creative endeavors, and maybe learning something new or going to just sit there and write and get off the grid. But it doesn't seem like COVID has slowed you down at all, man. You've got a new album out and you've released two books this year. 
Yeah, exactly. It's actually been the busiest year ever. And I've, I've never, I usually put out a book every couple of years. So having two come out in one year, plus this huge project with the album. And we, we actually crowdfunded this thing for the first time we've ever done that. So, you know, you, there's a lot of maintenance that goes on and then fulfilling these orders. I, I, I don't know what, what the hell I was thinking, but it's been just crazy. And even though, you know, I was scheduled for a lot of events like Bigfoot conferences and paranormal conferences, horror, con- you know, horror conventions and some ghoul town gigs that kind of got wiped out. But, you know, which I thought, oh, man, this is going to be slow. But actually, it just on the back end, there was so much to do. And we were going to do the album anyway. Um, and literally when the whole so-called shutdown happened, that was right before we were going in the studio. It delayed us just a little bit. But since we were just doing things, you know, ourselves, you know, uh, secluded from live gigs, it didn't matter. So, yeah, it's been super busy. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed because I was actually um, on an event. I was following that you were going to be doing a monster event in Gatlinburg right up the street from here. And it sucked that it got canceled. No, I that one actually happened. That happened? I didn't even know it happened. I stopped getting notifications for it. Yeah, that's weird. No, that, you know, most of them had canceled from March. And I I figured I didn't cancel any appearances because I thought, well, they'll just cancel them themselves or they can make their decision. And it just kind of hung there and they decided to do it, which was kind of weird because I had not been out other than we'd done the album and I'd gone to the studio. But really, I just kind of had been hanging out the house. And, uh, yeah, I flew out to Gatlinburg. It was like 1,500 people showed up at that, that Bigfoot conference. And it was weird. Everybody's wearing a mask, but you know, it didn't seem to be any problem. <laughs> Man, dude, I was, like I said, I stopped getting notifications for it. So I just figured that they canceled it like everything else. I wish I knew that. No, mm, I'm disappointed. Yeah, but I'm to even, be fair, we haven't really left the house unless we absolutely have had to in the last few months, especially because around here, cases have been spiking a lot lately. So it's like we're, we're a weird little town and we're spread out. But when things get rolling here, they really get rolling. Yeah, and I've been kind of going Jack Nicholson, the shining, picking flowers off the wallpaper, stir crazy. So I need excuses to get out. Hey, true, yeah. you know. Something else I want to talk to you about because I'm, you know, I'm on your page all the time, and I see that you've got a new video out. You've got these, you're sending out, shipping out a bunch of new books and stuff. And I know I brought this up before, man, and I think I even joked that you were like the Highlander of time management. But the way that you manage your time, especially, I mean, you're like this is my busiest year. I thought you were busy every year. All the times I talked to you, when I talked to you last year, I thought you were crazy busy. How are you managing? I mean, are you sleeping four hours a night? How are you managing all this? Yeah, you're you're right. I was busy before, and not, that's I was. I don't know what I was thinking with sort of the timing in this. I am literally sleeping four hours a night because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a my own web store, so I fulfill orders. Like if people want signed books, and then for Ghoul Town, it was always good to do because by the time you the distributors take their cut of CDs or anything that's out there, you know, you can always do better if you sell direct, you know, in right. conjunction with that. So every day I'm, you know, I'll fill some orders and then go about my business or whatever. But 
with this year. And I think, and people have really been doing a lot of mail ordering because they're at their house and books, I think have been, people were reading more. So I've literally been all day long filling orders and then doing this other stuff at night. And I, I work, I've been working every single day around the clock since March, at least. Wow. So it's, I mean, that's that's it. But it's, I mean, I love it. It's like, hey, what else could I ask for? I'm doing monster business and and people want my stuff. I mean, it, it is work, but it, to me, it's like, oh, this is just the coolest, you know, so I don't, I don't really mind. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier when it's something you're passionate about. You wouldn't want to be this busy, like putting fucking spindles in a box in a factory or something. I mean, it's something creative that keeps you interested. So um, I imagine at that time is good time, but it's still just to be able to manage getting everything out on time. Seems like you would have an insane time management skills to pull all this off. Yeah, and luckily I, I do have that that skill somehow or another. I can do things quickly and juggle a lot. Some, but yeah, it's really kind of getting beyond my control. And, <laughs> I know, bet. I, I mean, I don't with the crowdfunding and the pre-orders for the book. I normally do stuff like that, but it would only be one thing. So I literally had almost a thousand orders, you know. And Ooh. most of this I do my, myself. I mean, the band. Uh, you know, they volunteer and stuff and then some of them help, but it, it's kind of just up to me and that's, that's my job. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, people have put their money up for us. I got to fulfill this. I got to get this happening. You know, and even getting the vinyl LPs for our new album, everything has been a nightmare because of COVID. Like the, the manufacturing plant was shut down for a while shipping is slower it's all these things that i wouldn't even normally have to deal with but i'm just sweating it going man you know i got to get the album produced mastered cds get the lps you know and all these orders are just kind of hanging and i want to fulfill you know as promised so yeah it's been a lot of work be honest you're shrink wrapping cds as you're talking to me right (laughs) you can't just be talking to me right now you're like doing nine other things right well, actually, uh, the, actually, I get them to shrink wraps. That's one luxury I have. It, it just comes like that. But now, th- these are these are sort of my time off when I can sit down and, and not be working and just you know just enjoy the conversation on the phone. So this is this is time off, sort of. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, speaking of the new album, let's talk some Curse of El Dorado um, because, as D said, we were listening to a podcast that you were on on the way up to see my daughter, but we were also playing the new album over and over again. And one thing that really hit me is how epic the feeling of it is. It's very like dramatic, theatrical. The sound was, I mean, was this album, the whole album was written during COVID and were you shooting to have this gigantic theatrical sound? Because if you were, you really pulled it off. I wrote, well, I wrote most of that um, last year, sort of. We started kind of last summer, well, I mean, summer, what, 2019, sort of putting together songs. And then, you know, a lot of it was written right up until March. I mean, I wrote one of the songs, Leave You in the Dust, like literally t- uh, two weeks before we went to the studio. But, um, 
you know, the, the sound of this is more epic, I think, because I took even more influence from spaghetti western soundtracks, sort of, um, you know, the cinematic influence from that that I've always had in there with our horns and. You know, yeah, that's a good word, cinematic. I think that describes it. Yeah, and the, the gunfighter element to the to the to the dark western and horror, but this this one had more of that scope, and I think I was really trying to to get more spaghetti western. Even the titles of the songs, you know, "Ballista and Argue," "Heads You Die," "Tales I Kill You," stuff like that. It, and I think that translated into just more of this epic thing with with some of that. I don't know, cinematic elements. So I'm really proud of it. And it, it did actually come out how I wanted it to. And I, I think it's the best thing I've done yet. I think every album for Ghoul Town has gotten a little bit better. And I think this is just, man, it's way up there as far as, you know, what, what we really wanted to do and the fan reaction. Absolutely, man. It's next level. So my hat's off to you. I mean, like I said, it had such a theatrical vibe. You almost felt like you were in that world. So it really pulls you in. I've done a good job then. (laughs) So speaking of which, after like five or six albums, is it hard for you to keep coming up with fresh material within the scope, within the world of Ghoul Town? Or are you just like an endless reservoir of ideas when it comes to this stuff? It is actually harder to come up with stuff because, I mean, the the focus, it's somewhat narrow. You know, it's got sort of a a Western feel and and the dark, you know, drinking and and stuff. Uh, So, you know, it it can become repetition and even the riffs, you know, I, I... like, oh, yeah, this riff sounds cool. And I'm like, it sounds familiar. Oh, wait, you know, that's all, <laughs> on our second album. But I, you know, it's become more challenging. So I, I didn't even think I'd be able to write another album after Ghost of the Southern Sun just because I'm like, dude, where am I going from here? But this one, and usually this is what happens if I kind of don't think about it and just let music and ideas come to me, it just sort of comes out you know, as opposed to like, I'm going to sit down and write a song. It, I'll just let it come out. And it all of a sudden it started coming out that way. And, and part of it was that we, I've incorporated a little bit more of uh, sort of a ghostly background vocals. Uh, this girl, uh, Ashley, that was singing background on Ghost of the Southern Sun we put a little bit of that in there, but on this one, I was like, man, I'm going to put more of that stuff on here because it gave me some good inspiration for new sounds and textures. So that kind of helped also with just, I don't know, giving me a little bit of something else to play with, which then translated to to new and great songs, I think. And it makes it multi-layered. And I think that adds that epic sound we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's one thing we we've had. If you listen to the older albums, you know they're recorded in you know a few days, and that's it. But the newer albums, we've had much more time, so we can put in those those other layers and elements that that I always want to put there. Um, and even on the new album, we we redid two songs that we that came out on our. 2001 album tales from the dead west we did we did the worm and running from the sun 
and you can hear the difference. We played them pretty much exactly the same, but but now it's like it has all the elements and perfection that we just couldn't do, you know, all those years ago. So um, that's a good, good comparison as to how far the band has come. Right on. And I know, um, speaking of kind of ghosts and ghouls, someone who's really steeped in that world is Mormo. And I know, Mormo, you wanted to ask Lyle something about Elvira. Yeah, I saw your video with Elvira and loved it. I think that song and video got to be Halloween classics. And I was just wondering what it's like, what it was like to work with Elvira. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of the high points of not only Ghoul Town, but just my the things I've been able to do. Um, working with her was just amazing. She's just a really, really great and genuine person. She's just as funny in person as she is, you know, on camera and in, in her character. Uh, Cassandra is just a uh, very talented and witty and just worked right with us. That all came about. We, we had played at a VIP party at a horror convention and her manager had seen us there and just loved us. So he introduced us to Cassandra and she's we just kind of her and I were talking and she's like, well, maybe you could, you know, write a song for me. I'm, I'm, this was when she was starting to get back out there on the circuit. And I'm like, well, that's easy because I'm a huge fan. So <laughs> came, yeah. came up with a song and ended up going to Hollywood to shoot the video, which was like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, so it was a great experience. Have you guys gotten to play live at all, even virtually? Are you kind of shying away from doing anything streaming? What has the band been doing since the release of the album? I guess the problem is, is, is my time management. I'm sitting here working, shipping and receiving. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we were going to schedule a tour, maybe most for either some tour dates now and maybe just really kick it off in the spring. But because of COVID, you know, obviously... It really didn't hurt us because we weren't going to do any gigs while we were in production of the album anyway. And, you know, I had books to finish and you know, were coming out. We have one live show on December the 12th here in Dallas um, as sort of, we've got to do something, you know, to sort of celebrate the release. But other than that, we've just really been a- unable to do much. So we may do, we may do something virtual um once we get all you know get caught up and all this uh you know we can focus on that obviously we did the music video for bullets don't argue so that was another thing we've been doing so just so busy that i I couldn't have really toured but i guess we'll be looking mostly at how the world looks next spring and see what we can do then to you know play some tour dates yeah, it's funny because we've got four guests on tonight, and two of the other guests have new albums that have come out in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, they have their music going on as the main focal point of what they're doing. And they're like, I'm dying. I want to play out so bad. I want to, like, play out these new songs so bad. But I imagine you're so busy, you don't even have a chance to really be excited about this yet. <laughs> I can hardly think. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, it's a lot. It, and I think I've realized as of this year, I mean, I, I, I'm very do-it-yourself, old-school punk, but there's a, it's become well beyond my capabilities. And unless I'm going to cut down to two hours you know, a night, I need to have somebody else doing the 
the business, some of those business parts so then I can get out there. And, and that's what I want to do next year is just, I just want to go play and actually be the singer in the band and not also the record label. And, you know, writing the books is cool. You can just, you know, I can do those kind of in between, but yeah, I need to, uh, I want to, I do want to get out there and play these songs live, but I think the album's so great. So I, I share that same feeling of like, man, we got to get out and play these, you know, but damn COVID. You know? I hear you, man. I think that's a good plan. All right, well, let's play a new song off Curse of El Dorado. I'm going to pick my favorite, Night of No Tomorrow. Is there anything you want to tell us about this? Uh, yeah, this is kind of just one of those, you know, kind of standard ghoul town where we mix almost like metal and a, uh, some kind of a country vibe to it and we, it's got a really weird part in the middle where we do this kind of harmony singing which we we don't really do much of that and i just kind of did it on the demo and it sounded so cool i thought well we got to do it and a lot of people have said i love that part and so it's so weird because it's kind of less standard ghoul town but it's i think that's what that sucked can, me in yeah we can do something different and people still love it so yeah it's it's a great great tune all righty, let's play some Night of No Tomorrows, and we will be back with Lyle to talk about his new book.
righty, we are back with Monster Hunter and guitarist, vocalist of Ghoul Town, Lyle Blackburn. Um, man, I sounded very radio voice right there. Anyways, Lyle, I want to tell you something weird that happened. I was thinking about you the other day because I was watching this game show. I don't know if you're familiar with it called Card Sharks. Do you know that show? Are you familiar with the premise? No, I, I don't. I don't know it. So Card Sharks is a high-low card game with big, giant virtual cards. And what they do is they'll ask a question. They'll say, we surveyed 100 people. How many people said X? And then somebody will guess, and then the contestant against them will guess higher or lower than what their guess was. And they had on there a question. We surveyed 100 people. How many people think Bigfoot is real? And the answer was shocking to me. Do you know what the answer was? Uh, Take a guess. General public, I would yeah. say about 20% of people. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to say higher. <laughs> um, both of you are pretty much dead on. It was 21%. And I was actually taken back by that because I figured it'd be like 40, 45%. But I mean, Lyle's in that world. If he's saying 20% too, well, I guess I, my thinking on it was off. <laughs> it, it depends on sort of what what uh, circles you travel, I think. And I, I knew that was probably, you know, pretty close to 20 just based on sort of just polling your average person. Unfortunately, most people don't know much about the subject. And at this point, they just see it as sort of like, pop culture, you know, it's a fun subject, but nobody really believes in it, you know, but if you're asking some people who, you know, read the books on the subjects or follow it more closely, you're going to definitely have way more people because they've listened to, you know, some of these credible accounts and, and, uh, and footprint discoveries and things. So, uh, but yeah, I think that's your average person's view is, eh. You know, Bigfoot don't believe in it, and 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 sometimes they'd say that because they don't want a, somebody to go, well, oh, how you believe in Bigfoot? You know, they're going to take the that's you true know, the conservative. You know, they don't they don't want the ridicule, perhaps. Well, speaking of books, let's talk about your new book, Boggy Creek Case Book. You came out with two, right? What was the other one you did? Was it Sinister Swamps that came out this year too? Yeah, Sinister Swamps came out in May. So why the, um, you said you usually release one, you know, once a year or two. Why two books like this back to back, especially with you coming out with a new album? Like I said, that's a lot. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> to be honest, but uh, the Sinister Swamps took me a, a, quite a long time to write because it covers a huge span of notorious swamps throughout North America and talks about unexplained creature sightings, ghosts, missing persons, all kinds of stuff. And it took me a long time to research. So when, when sort of when uh, the shutdown took place and we had kind of already written the songs for Ghoul Town, in between sort of those times, I, I decided, you know, I want to put together this case book for the Boggy Creek case because people ask me all the time about the sightings there. And I'd written a book, the beast of Boggy Creek back in 2012, which is kind of my most well-known book. But this, I thought would just put together sighting after sighting, just in chronological order. So I kind of called those from my previous books from new interviews I'd done. And it, it's not a, it's not a 
straight narrative. It's just sort of entry, 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 casebook. Here, here's each sighting and, and all the details. So it was a little easier to put together, and I just kind of worked on it a little bit at a time. And um, I teamed up with a really great artist uh, who did illustrations for it, and he was kind of gung ho on it. So that kind of pushed me to go ahead and get it out, or else I probably would have maybe waited till spring. But uh, yeah, so that that just came out. Uh, yeah, you kind of beat me to the punch because I was going to ask if this was a follow-up to the Beast of Boggy Creek, but I guess you kind of answered my question. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's a supplement because I, I've done Beast of Boggy Creek and then I did Beyond Boggy Creek where I went and explored the whole deep south. And I still have another one to do in that trilogy and make sort of a trilogy because, you know, I sort of want to be the the, the Tolkien of Loggy Creek or something. But, uh, but, uh, the case book is more like a supplement for those people that just want to be able to read the sightings back to back without the other stories about movies and other phenomenon that goes on with it. And, gotcha. and uh, you know, so it, it's, I'm sort so of very dragnet, just the facts, Lyle, just the facts. Yes, very much. Yep. So for those of us that want to get that for Christmas, hint, hint, where should we go online? Well, uh, you know, obviously my books are available on Amazon, and uh, that's a good place. But, you know, you can also get uh, signed copies from me on my website. If you just go to lyleblackburn.com and hit the shop link, it'll take you to my store, and I've got all the books and other things there. So, um They'll give me something. I need something to do. I need some. Yeah, you hear that, kids? Lyle doesn't have enough to do. Buy his autographed <laughs> copies. So, I need to get that. I need to get that Momo book, the Missouri Monster. I'm asking for that for Christmas. I actually have that book. I've only nice. read a little bit of it. I'm only. I'm so swapped myself. I'm always reading and trying to fit all these things in. But I'll. I'll get it finished at some point. So when you're right doing this writing, what's the catalyst of this? Do people are people just constantly flooding your inbox and they're like, I saw a half beaver, half goat in my backyard on their tine legs. Like, are you getting just insane emails from all over the country? Please, Lyle, come out and investigate this thing in my neck of the woods. Yes, you you must be reading my inbox because that that is exactly what goes on. And yeah, it's either just citing reports of all sorts of stuff, mostly, you know, with encrypted. And then those ones that I think people perceive me as having some sort of a budget or life to where I can go, Oh, well, let me fly to you know, Michigan right now and, and, and get right out there and check it out. You know, obviously there's no way I can follow up on everything, but I just sort of catalog them and the ones that I think are credible or want to follow up on, I will just because I think, well, this is going to fit with something later. But usually I just try to narrow it down. Like if I'm focused on a book, then I seek out or, or go into my files and look up the things that would fit into that zone. Because otherwise, yeah, it's just, it's just too much, uh, too much of a scope. Do you think a lot of people who write you kind of feel like you have supernatural powers? Like, I don't know, like the Bigfoot whisperer, like you're going to go out there and just find Bigfoot and start chatting with them or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's some regards. It's, there's two factors. One, they, you know, 
I'm perceived as a person who knows a lot about it or knows, you know, what to do. And certainly I have a lot of experience in the field, but also I think people who read my books or see me on shows, they see how sort of down to earth I am about it and how I'm not, you know, judgmental. I'm not, you know, wacky that they feel like they can tell me about what they've seen and not, you know, not be ridiculed or not, you know, and I will treat it respectfully. So I get a lot of people saying, oh, I've never really told anybody, but I want to tell you because I like your approach to the research. So that that's a, you know, it's flattering to, to hear those kind of uh, feedback. Is your gut feeling by reading through all these requests that the, the vast majority of these people saw something, even if they can't articulate what it actually is? Or do you think you're getting just a lot of people like, I'm just going to say that I saw a pumpkin man running around my backyard? <laughs> yeah, pumpkin man. That sounds like a pretty cool book, actually. Um, <laughs> I want to get some royalties off that. Not the tea right. of it. Um, no, I, you know, I do feel people are genuine. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I rarely... I mean, I really don't get much where I think somebody's just making it up. I mean, occasionally there's some where you're like, ah, this sounds way too much stuff. But I think people genuinely have seen something they can't explain. Now, some of it could be chalked up to, you know, they saw too much into it. It was a shadow or it was something that, you know, they interpreted. Too much moonshine. Or too much moonshine, although, you know, I mean can't begrudge him for for drinking a little moonshine but uh yeah just you know some of it you could probably explain away but then there's just that percentage of it it's like in in some of these cases i've gotten to know the person or their family or interviewed them in person i'm like dude i don't know what they saw i can't prove it but they saw something weird and totally unexplainable so there's credible witnesses I bet. So I, I got to do this. I, I got to put you on the spot here because I feel like I have an opportunity to do so and nobody else gets this opportunity like ever. Um, so I'm a person I've never seen anything outside of, you know, unidentified flying objects. I've I'm never probably seen the anything. freakiest thing you've ever seen. Dee. <clears throat> well, yeah, I, but I've never seen anything um, of this earth that I couldn't explain. So, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic so much as just kind of curious. What would you say to some, like, like to somebody like me who's like, I don't know, I, I don't know enough, or where would you point somebody? Like, what would be your elevator pitch for any cryptid uh, or any crypto cryptozoology species? Um, that that you would want somebody to t- kind of tip of the iceberg, where would you point them or what would you tell them in like a 30-second elevator pitch style? Oh, well, um, I mean, I certainly can identify with sort of a skeptical view of it. And I, I have the same mm-hmm. thing. I don't want to, you know, people say, do you believe in Bigfoot? Well, to believe something is sort of have faith. I need to see it. And mm-hmm. I believe there's a possibility but certainly it's okay to be skeptical. The place to, you really want to start to learn the, some facts would be to get some quality books about that particular subject, read the book, you know, and then you're going to have a better perspective as opposed to say watching TV 
unless you're watching one of our small town monsters doctor documentaries, a lot of the network television can be, you know, trumped up and not, you don't know what to believe, but, uh, you know, another place, you know, you can seek out one of these conferences, a Bigfoot conference, the Mothman festival, you could actually go and to where you could hear people or meet people that have had sightings. And that's a whole nother level when, as opposed to reading something on the internet is to seeing, you know, talking to somebody in person who's seen something like this, you have a, it gives you a totally different perspective on, wow, okay, this person isn't crazy. And what they're telling me sounds uh, amazing. So, you know, you, you want to start, I think with books, I mean, those are the best scholarly uh, things to, to look into, to get a, start getting a foothold on the history of whatever creature you're looking at. And then, you know, get out there and even take a weekend adventure to some town where where the creature is supposedly seen and just start talking to locals mm -hmm. at convenience stores. And all of a sudden you'll realize that in everyday life, there's people, oh, yeah, you know, my uncle saw something weird, you know. Boom, you're in the middle of it and your whole your whole perception of it will will start to change as you get a inside view of, of the phenomenon. So what I'm kind of hearing from you is that the best thing to maybe do if you're curious is just to go explore because it sounds like everybody in that community is pretty welcoming and pretty open to questions and open to, you know, explaining, oh, well, I saw this or this happened to me. And I think that's a really special thing. I think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are people are willing to share their experience if they feel like the, the person is receptive to it. So especially somebody who says, look, I'm totally new at this. I, you know, what can you tell me about uh, the creature? Or what did you see? People are totally w willing to tell you and share those stories. And that's kind of what's great about today is there, there is these sort of conferences where people can gather together and, and share this uh, uh, enthusiasm for the subject or share their own experiences. Um, whereas, you know, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, you know, there was hardly any, if any Bigfoot conferences or anything like that. So there was nowhere to go to meet like-minded people. But now you, you've got events and of course the internet. I mean, you could seek out Facebook groups and things dedicated to a certain creature and you know start interacting with people that way i think it helps too now armed with the information from someone who lives in that world that most people are sincere and have enough respect for the genre that they're not running around for attention or pranking people so that makes me more open to it just knowing that most of the people who are talking about it are serious yeah i think so i mean you know mostly in in most real life circumstances, you know, it, it's, it's a little harder when you're on the internet to kind of weed out people, uh, you know, because it's just the way inherently it is because you don't have that personal connection. So the more, the more you can get out in, in real, real life and meet people, the more you'll, you know, learn about the subject and then form your own views, you know, just like I did. I mean, when I started researching Boggy Creek or whatever, like going to the town sooner or later, you know, people are talking to me and I'm like, okay, now I got a totally different view than I had just say reading something on the internet, you know? 
Fair enough. All right, let's shift gears here because I want to end, since this is a Halloween special, with some quick Halloween questions. Are you ready? Ready. Do you remember your first Halloween costume? I believe I do. It was a skeleton, I believe. All right. Um, Favorite Halloween concert show? It could be one you played or it could be something you went and saw live. Uh, I'm not sure this is on Halloween, but it's so Halloween that it should be Halloween. I saw Sam Hain when I was younger, and it was just killer to see Danzig and that sort of Sam Hain thing going. I just, it was like Halloween come to life. Yeah, that must have been mind-boggling seeing Danzig. This had to be what, 86, 87? 84, I want to say. 84? I saw them in 84, and then I think 85, they toured. Yes, 84, and then 85, they played one song, and the cops shut down the show. <laughs> I know, I can so. imagine. Wow. Yeah, man, that's a piece of history right there. All right, um, horror movies. What is, or do you have a go-to horror movie you absolutely have to watch every Halloween? I think Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween is one that, just really has the vibe of of a great horror movie and Halloween itself. So it's you know it's almost cliche to say you know you watch Halloween and Halloween, but it literally I, I've got to watch that every season. Right on. And are you superstitious? Don't step on a crack. Don't break a mirror. That sort of thing. Mm, somewhat. Not all the way, but you know it it does lurk in the back of my mind. Better safe than sorry type attitude. Exactly, exactly. All righty, and finally, do you have a ghost story, a personal ghost story you want to take us out with? In fact, I do. While I've huh? never definitively seen a cryptid, I have seen a ghost. And this was when I was a senior in high school. A friend of mine lived in this house, and he and his family members had claimed to have seen a ghost of a young boy. In was this house. in Texas? Even, yes, this is in Texas, uh, okay. where I grew up, sort of near Fort Worth and Dallas. And even some of my other friends said they had seen it. Well, I, I love the subject of ghosts and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't know whether they were pulling my leg or what. But uh, one, one evening I was sitting there uh in his living room, sitting on the fireplace, looking at the TV, waiting for him to get ready so he could go out skateboarding like we always did. And I was facing the front entryway with the front door. And all of a sudden, just something caught my uh, peripheral vision. And I turned and I saw the figure of what appeared to be a boy-sized uh, apparition and it looked just like what you think a ghost would look like. I mean, it was a whitish figure, human. It walked from one from the front room across the entryway and down towards the hallway. And I was like, holy shit, dude. I said, Tim, I just saw the ghost. And he was so nonchalant about it. He was like, yeah, you know, that's where it hangs out. I mean, it was like nothing to him. And, and his family was crazy. not people. His family was not people to make up stuff, so I know that his parents, if they said they'd seen it, they must have. But yeah, I just saw it right then and there, and I was like, I, you know, I don't have an explanation. Was it a dead person? Was it a 
uh, you know, a, an image that lingered there from the past. I don't know what it was, but I definitely saw it straight on right there. Wow. So as uh, somebody who has actually experienced that, how come you've never really tipped your professional toe in that world as far as writing books or going out and filming or doing any case files on ghosts? I, well, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. Perhaps, you know, I, I had answered that. And I, I think though, mainly I just sort of am a monster guy. And I, I just always thought of this, especially with Boggy Creek, this just sort of spooky aspect of this hairy beast chasing people or terrorizing people in, in small towns, you know, around where I went hunting with my father and, and here in Texas and Arkansas. And I just kind of gravitated towards the, you know, monster hunting as opposed to ghost hunting. But I, I did some of that. And I, I think by the time I got the idea to write a book, I just felt like there's so many ghost books and so much of this mm. other stuff that I thought there's not a lot of really great, you know, cryptid books. And there was, there had been none written about the, the boggy Creek. So that's what I went to. And that sort of, became successful at that so i just kind of kept up although in sinister swamps i do delve into ghosts and anything any phenomenon that happened in the swamps so i i did actually have delved into some ghost stories there all right well i think that's a great place to end the halloween interview lyle i want to thank you so much for calling in as always and before you head out the door please tell everybody where we can find you online pick up the book and pick up the new ghoul town album Cool, yeah. Just uh, check out my site at lyleblackburn.com, and you can also visit the band at ghoultown, G-H-O-U-L-T-O-W-N.com, and uh, you can find Ghoultown music anywhere, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Bandcamp, anywhere finer music is sold, and my books are sold on Amazon as well as my website, so... Definitely thanks for having me on. It's been a great Halloween experience. All righty, Lyle, and you have a great Halloween. All righty, moving on. Odell is still MIA, probably fell into a trap door somewhere. But we do still have the macabre madman of Missouri, Mr. Mormo. You're still with us. Yeah. Insert serial huh? killer here. Insert slasher here didn't get you like Odell. No, no, I'm still safe and Still enjoying Halloween. It's my favorite time of year, so... It must be all your magical charms that are keeping you safe. Yeah, definitely. And never leaving the house helps, too, I'm sure. Well, never leaving the house hasn't helped me. I'm picking flowers <laughs> off the wallpaper, man. Oh, I'm used boy. to being out on the road when the weather's nice, although it's getting cold again. All right, well, let's get our next guest in here. All righty. Our next guest is a makeup artist, guitarist, and now haunting solo artist from the bands <laughs> Prissy Whip and Egrets on Ergot. Try saying that three times real fast. That's here to perfect. Talk perfect. Finally, I did something right. I did something right. It is a Halloween miracle. Here to talk about her new album. I know I'm going to butcher this. Mata De La Rosa. That's also perfect. Nice. And all things spooky, the beautifully beguiling Crow Jane. Happy Halloween, Heather. Happy Halloween. It's also my favorite time of year. Go figure. Yes, yes. As it is for many, including Mormo. Mormo has a deep love and affection for all things spooky. Him being a spooky person himself, right, Mormo? 
For sure, totally. All right. Let's kind of, um, I don't know if you know this, but we always start these shows off having a little bit of COVID talk because that's on everybody's mind nowadays. And we kind of live in this new outside down COVID-19 reality. So I love talking to artists to see how they're dealing with it, especially artists like you who have an album that just dropped in 2020. How are you dealing with COVID and how are you dealing with the album release that you can't really go out and perform right now? You know, it's a weird time to put out an album for sure. It's like, it's, it's an awesome time and also a very weird time because it's like, Hey, the world is ending, but I'm dropping an album. (laughs) You just wrote the soundtrack for it. (laughs) Right. But it's also like, I wasn't working at all. And so were many uh, other artists that I know weren't working at all either. So in that sense, it was the perfect time because I had all the time in the world to dedicate to things that I wanted to do that weren't work. And uh, putting out this album was one of them. I mean, I've been sitting on that album for like three to five years or something like that. And it was because I was in COVID staring at, you know, my wall in the house thinking like, oh, what's something that I could do? I could put out this album is one of the things. So in that sense, like it was great. And it was also something to keep me occupied outside of um, politics. Uh, good, like, you know. Um, wait, wait, wait. There's outside of politics. Form. I thought politics was <laughs> everything. Wait, there's a world outside of politics. Where is that world? What parallel universe you know, are you from? I guess it's not like totally outside of it because there's definitely, you know, things um, intertwined. It's all intertwined. But, you know, I get to like make a music video and and create art one day instead of like uh, having my brain melt by all this information. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, that's so true, too. And, you know, you have you've been putting out these videos. I had written down two, but actually as of today or yesterday, it's three And you're really smart in the sense that kind of the underpinnings of what you do is you work in the FX makeup world, and then you can kind of use that to support yourself and use that also when it comes to making these videos. It's really a win-win all the way around. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a I'm I'm lucky because I have these skills that I can create pretty cool content. In my opinion, (laughs) it's it's all things that I like. And then also on top of that, like, I've, I've met a lot of people with cameras, a lot of, you know, p- photographers or videographers, directors of photography and directors themselves and um, art department, just all the departments. Like, in my whole career of over a decade, I've met a lot of people. And that is another thing that, you know, bringing it back to COVID, we were all out of work. So when the opportunity come up to just make art we were all like hell yeah let's make a music video you know it it will keep me busy so that part of it was was really cool and getting back to covid how is it impacting your day job i imagine everything in the fx world is kind of shut down are you able to still keep on working on some level it's starting to come back now for the first time but that whole like eight month period it was totally dead um I was on, you know, luckily I had unemployment already kind of enrolled because I'm basically like an independent contractor anyway. So I never really know when my next job is going to come. So I had the ball rolling with unemployment for if a job ends and I go a couple of weeks without one. Um, 
and so that was lucky because a lot of people that I know that were already sort of in the bubble of unemployment and didn't know how to like go about it, um, got fucked for a long time. Sorry, I don't know if I cuss on the show. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, so I I was lucky with that. And, you know, that kept me pretty stable financially. Mentally, I needed to do something. Um, but now it's starting to come back. I worked my first movie uh, this month. I just got back from Michigan. I was there for three weeks doing a, a witchy horror movie. And uh, I think it's going to turn out really awesome. And union shows are starting to come back now. So for now, it seems like good things are happening and, and work's getting back. But, you know, there's no you going to set in COVID world is a whole different thing. And Yeah, I was going to ask you that. How did they even navigate that? I mean, you can't film a movie with everybody social distancing and wearing masks, right? Right. Like, they, there's a lot of rules. And um, being in, everyone on crew has a certain level of PPE, it's called, when, like, you have to be in a mask and a face shield, you're, like, basically in a hazmat suit, and um, it sucks to be in that for, like, 14 hours. (laughs) But they also, like, they're trying to cut down on the hours. If you're working a union gig, I think it's, like, 8 to 10 now. Um, But still, it's a long time to be in in all of that, have all that stuff on your face, you really lose connection, like personal connection with people. And, and the actors can't have masks on unless it's scripted. So, I mean, that's part of the whole reason why I feel like my industry in particular was sort of one of the last to come back because it's, there's a lot of legal stuff that has to happen for um, these actors and actresses to be safe on set, walking around unmasked. Yeah, I can't imagine a lot of steamy love scenes during the COVID era. (laughs) No. I mean, there's a lot of testing, though, which is good. That's like a a good safety blanket. Like, whether the test be accurate or not, I guess, with you're getting the notification that, like, everyone got tested on this set and we're all negative. So it's it's most likely fine. You're at least your sanity is is, uh, you're less scared. (laughs) The overall vibe, though, does it feel like, is it stifling because you're in these bulky PPE, you're in this mask or shield? Does it stifle your creativity? Or after you do it a couple days, does it just become the new normal, sadly? Um, well, at first, like finding the right shield that doesn't fog your vision um, was was something to, to learn and to get to know because yeah, when I was wearing these shields that I could barely, like, it was like being in, doing makeup in a room with, like, a haze machine. Like, oh, I couldn't man. see that, <laughs> that clearly, so that sucks. Like, it makes what I'm doing, you know, less good, which therefore makes me less excited about it. Um, but I'm really ex- excited to be back at work. So, and, and the some of the visors and the shields that I've found, um, I can see through pretty clearly. So I think there's also like just this in general, like appreciation for being back at work and, and loving what we do and being able to do it, you know, which it would be impossible. I would think if it wasn't such a, uh, industry of a creative industry that people do because they're passionate about it, 
like that's one of the things that probably makes it bearable and people to be able to even navigate all these rules and everything. Yeah, exactly. For sure. On a side note, and I know this will tickle these fancy, didn't you uh, recently work on an episode of Picard? Yep. Uh-oh, yeah, me yeah. and Dee are big Star Trek nerds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. So did you get to meet the man himself, Patrick Stewart? I mean, he was around, but I didn't go up to him and, like, um, introduce myself or anything. You know, it's like... <laughs> It was a huge crew. I worked on a couple episodes of it, and some of the days that I was on, there was like 50 makeup artists or something. Like, wow. Um, so you know, if every they 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 keep him pretty uh locked in his, down in his own <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in his own bubble. Otherwise, you know, and a lot of like like at the background and stuff, like they didn't even know what show they were on. Like once you get there and you're in makeup and you see everything, you put it together. But all the stuff beforehand, like on shows like that, it's so secretive because they don't, they, any, they want that. They don't want any of the information to leak that the background people that are hired there to like show up and be put in prosthetics, um, to be like aliens. Um, they didn't even know what show they were showing up for. That's oh wild. God. So many, so, like, I, I can only imagine if they did know, like, Instagram would be exploding. Like, I'm about to walk in here and work on the car. I know I would be fanboying out. Yeah, they have such strict NDAs, though. If you get caught with that, like, big trouble. You are gone. All right, let me ask you one more question about this, and then I want to move back on to your album, just because I'm interested in this. When working on an FX crew, what do you personally like better and kind of find more natural, working in the horror genre or in the sci-fi genre? Oh, interesting question. More natural. Yeah, like what do you gravitate more towards? Do you feel more creative working in the sci-fi genre or in the horror genre? Because even though people see them as similar, I have to imagine with something like that, there's a lot of differences. There is a lot of differences. You know, it's I think – do I feel more creative? I probably feel more creative in sci-fi unless I'm doing a bunch of like gory practical effects in horror, um, more creative and inventive in sci-fi, but gore and horror movies, there's more of allowance. Like there's more freedom to have like less precision and like, um, you could be messier with it, which can be a lot of fun and relieving. Um, in sci-fi, you know, things have to be kind of like cleaner or more like perfect or realistic or something like, even though it's like an alien, but like, like the pointy ears on Star Trek, for example, like those were really hard to apply actually. <laughs> well, everything has to be like slick and sleek because you're in the future. Yeah, 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 exactly. So with and with horror movies, a lot of times it's like throw blow, throw some blood on it, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it, but it's fun. Like the movie that I was just on, um, there was uh, puppeteering snakes, and that was awesome. Most of the effects were practical, so like when this girl has like a giant tongue come out of her mouth that like squirms around and stuff. And we're doing it with like fishing line and things like that are really inventive and they're really fun to do. 
Man, do I envy your life. My God, you get to create all day for your day job. I mean, my day job's like boring, looking at spreadsheets, and then you get to be creative at night with your music. You haven't made. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a cool life to live for sure. And like, I think I said this on the show before, where, but it's like also an interesting thing to be stressed out about, you know, you're like, because you still, it's, you still get stressed out and there's like crazy deadlines and, uh, and a lot of like sort of prestige and a lot of ugliness in, in the, in the film industry too. But, uh, it's funny when I'm like incredibly stressed out over like uh, a puppet tongue or whatever, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, good stress is still stress. That's something you learn in the mental health world. It's just because something is good. Like the stress of buying a house, that's a good thing. Right. But even that stress can still trigger things. So nobody should look at anybody else's journey or world and be like, oh, well, oh, boo-hoo, cry me a river. You had to work 12 hours like any Arctic doing special effects. It's like, yeah, boo-hoo. I mean, <laughs> do you know how much stress comes with that? Working on a set in COVID in a hazmat suit, trying to put these incredible little uh, like pebbles on some like Ferengi's face on Star Trek. I mean, that's got to be crazy. Yeah. So I, I yeah. hope people learn that. I try to give these little tidbits out about how that world works for people and how people have been impacted by COVID in the music and entertainment world. Because I think the veneer from the outside is just like, oh, it's the life of Raleigh. Uh, they act for 10 minutes a day and then they go to cocktail parties for 10 hours with their rich friends. And it's not like yeah. That yeah, I mean, that's, that's I don't know what's going to happen with the music industry or with venues um it's sad well i mean this is definitely we'll have to reorder and restructure the music industry we were talking about this early on the show i mean i imagine the music industry post-covid is gonna look i mean very different just everything's gonna look different we're gonna have pre-covid world and post-covid world this is definitely a defining era in our lineage for sure yeah definitely I mean, I hope it's, like, for the better, because let's face it, the music industry before COVID was already kind of shitty, so at least on my level, you know, like, if you walked out with 200 bucks from a show, you're, like, super grateful about it. (laughs) Yeah, the excess days are over. The days where a band that, like, is barely known can make a video for MTV and get rich, those days are gone. Yeah. You know, so yes, it's going to need a reordering. So we will see. All right, let's talk about the new album, um, Matar De La Rosa. I hope I'm saying yeah. that right. So here's the deal. I was blown away by this album because just the like unusual contours and musical texture of it. There was a lot of like tribal type sounds. And once this is what I look for in music. This is what's interesting to me. When a musical project is impossible to stick in any kind of certain box. And when I was listening to this album over and over, the one thing that played in my mind is, do you personally, as an artist, like have, do you self-impose any limitations on yourself? Or do you like, dude, I'm just going to do what I feel and let the work talk for talk for itself and let the chips fall creatively where they may? I think it's like a combination of all the things. Like I think there's sometimes when I'm recording songs and uh, whether it be with the bands on a solo project where something will happen and I'll be like, not too much, man. (laughs) 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 I can imagine. Like, you know, like 
I think I really, I love the experimental world and, um, and I love thinking outside of the box. And I think it's also just something that comes natural from being like a self-taught, uh, musician and, uh, just all the musical projects that I've been a part of and that I am inspired by all sort of stem from that world. So it's kind of easy for me to do where maybe writing like a really structured pop song could be actually harder for me to do. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. But, uh, but there will be limitations in the sense of like, even if I'm messing around with different like sounds and putting them into a song, like if it doesn't like add to it and it's just kind of this unnecessary noise that's happening. I think that's where I get like a limitation where I sort of reach a limit where I'm like, nah, like what's the point, you know? (laughs) Um, So do you find it hard to rein yourself in or does it come very naturally? To rein myself in, like in the sense of like being less when you have to, or? yeah, when you have to tell yourself, okay, this is unnecessary here in the song. Like, does that all? Can you feel your way through these songs fairly easily when you're creating them? I yeah, actually, I think I can, I can, and even sometimes it's like I like to keep it a pretty open mixed bag, you know. And I think, and I think in this album, although it's experimental, I mean, there's also like a song with just me and a piano in it. Um, so I like to have simplicity as well. I don't like to, um, uh, overwhelm the ear, you know, too much. Like, and I'm in some bands that kind of do that. Like Prissy Whip's kind of like that. It's, but it's kind of part of their shtick, like very noisy type of band. Um, but I think sometimes that could an, introduce an amount of fatigue. And so I like to have breaks, you know, and I also, some of my favorite, like, bands have um it just some songs will be slow songs other songs will be hard songs and faster and you know i i like that i think it keeps it interesting for me as as a writer and as an artist and do you feel like you being able to create that way is why you decided to take on a solo project and i know you said you've been putting this together for three or four years but it hasn't been completed and sitting on a shelf for four years, has it? This has been a work in progress all this time? It's been a work in progress, but but it's also had periods of just sitting on the shelf. <laughs> um, and I mean, I started that solo album simply out of like being told to do so by my producer, who's also my friend, Paul, because he was like... Um, you know, you're going through a hard time in life right now. And the best way to get through it is to write songs. I mean, I already, I was like always writing songs and like poetry and, and journaling and doing all things like that. Like, um, but he sort of maneuvered it into a very like specific, like you're writing these songs and now it's going to be a part of an album type of a thing. Like, um, and you have more freedom to do that in, in a solo way as opposed to in a band, you know, like, hey, guys, here's my song, like these lyrics I just wrote about, like, this shitty time in my life. Like, is it cool if you write a song, like, write some music to it? Is, like, I don't know. I guess some people maybe do that, but that's just not how the relationship within my band is. <laughs> Like, it's usually we're just all sitting in a room and, like, somebody starts to play some kind of, like, guitar lick or bass line and then we jam for a little while and then we're like, oh, yeah, this should be a song, you know? And then the 
the singer runs off and goes and writes his own lyrics. So do you feel like Paul was right that doing it in a solo way and having complete creative control that way, was that cathartic after whatever you were going through during that era? Oh, yeah. Like in a way that doing it in a band dynamic wouldn't have been? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's definitely, like, when I when I sing for um, Prissy Whip on stage, like, there's definitely a um, therapeutic sort of quality to it because of the expression that I have. Like, I get to, like, just let loose, like, totally let loose. Like, I'm almost like this crazy person on stage, and that feels oh so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i remember uh, those days like just going nuts so on stage i i know like exactly what you're talking about yeah there's like nothing else like that you know uh so i miss it yeah and you're on stage especially when you're at the level of what you were doing what you are doing when you're on stage like that, to know like you can be uninhibited and not be judged and just kind of be a creative supernova, just like I, I don't know if I told you this last time you were on. I know I've talked about this on air, but the first time when I was a bass player, you can kind of recede in the shadows and there's not a lot of focus on you. But I had wrote this song for my old band called the song was called Jock Asshole. And it was like a revenge song for all the jocks that used to like stuff me in lockers and all that. And um you know, I had a little bit of nerves going out the first time. So I was like, I'm just going to go out there and be as fucking insane and humiliate myself as much as I can. So every time after will be cake. It's like starting Zelda playing level 20 and then going back and playing from the beginning of the game later. <laughs> and I just grabbed the blow up doll, which was our mascot. And I just rolled around on the floor and screamed and went insane. And then I was like, I will never like make a bigger jackass of myself than that. So now everything else is just going to be like smooth sailing. And it was. It took a lot of the pressure off. That's how I had to mind fuck myself to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, performing, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's therapeutic. It's like it's all kinds of things. It's like the ultimate. I mean, for some, it's probably not like that for some, everyone. Like some people have such bad stage fright. It's like the most miserable, torturous hell <laughs> to them. But like. I'm more comfortable performing on a stage than I am like walking around the audience afterwards. No, I can definitely see that too. And another thing I'll say on this, and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but there are bands who just don't look like they're enjoying themselves. I've had friends who they're, they're like beautiful mind level musicians. Like they read books on theory. They know everything. I'm just some dumb punk kid when I was playing, like beating on my bass. But these cats yeah. know music. But when they're on stage, they don't move. They look like they're concentrating. So they don't like, here are our songs. Dissect them and tell me yeah. what you think. And they come off stage and be like, man, dude, I mean, that set was incredible. I couldn't play that. If I had 100 years of music lessons, I couldn't do that. But you don't look like you're having fun. And they're like, well, you know, I'm having fun and I know I created the music. But I don't feel like without that interaction and that energy, just as kind of like going up there and being like, listen, how technical and rad our music is. I mean, maybe some people get the same thing out of it. That's just never been my cup of tea as far as being a performer. Yeah, for sure. I know what you mean. So, OK, it's, it's crazy how many different perspectives there are for something just like creating music. There's a hundred different ways to approach it. Um, speaking <laughs> of approaching things. I want to talk about your videos. I mean, you are a video-making machine on this album. When I was getting the show together, I'd written two, and then you came out with another video, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to up until three. I have, like, 
three more in the works. <laughs> is it the end nice. game is the whole solo album is going to have videos for every song? Is that what's going to happen? I, I, I mean, not every song, but I mean, that's going to be what? Six? At the end of the day, which is out of ten, yeah. Um, I don't know, especially now with you when you can't perform live. And honestly, I have mixed feelings about like live streams type of stuff. Uh, I like I would rather make a cool music video. Like I'm such a visual person that I would just I would rather like add a cool visual to the song as opposed to like here I am in my bedroom live streaming playing the guitar. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I get that. Um, Mormo, kind of quiet back there. You're a visual content type of person. What say you? Yeah, I really love that. Um, it's a man's world video. I thought it was really great. And I was wondering, like, how much feedback you give as the artist and how much input the director gives. And, and like, how does that work out? Um. Well, that's like the the main one out of the three that I've done so far that actually had a director. And um, it's, it's my friend Nesto. I've worked with him on multiple different music videos. And we kind of have very similar tastes in film and um, just artistic style, I guess. Like we really like a lot of like 80s type of stuff. And uh he came to me with, with an idea for my egress band, actually. And uh, he wanted black and white imagery. And he showed me a bunch of photos from artists that we both really like. And it was all kind of surreal. And he, he like, named um, his mood board and the thing that he put together after me because he was like, I, I knew you would like this. Um, and I did. And uh, it didn't work out for Egrets. Um, and I, so I brought it up to him when I was releasing this album. And uh, I was like, I think I have the perfect song for these visual ideas that we were both putting together. So it's, it's, it's really, you know, um, a collaborative effort. And it always is between him and I, even if I'm just doing the makeup effects on his videos, like, a lot of the times things that he's creating are um, kind of based around like the makeup effects. Um, so we're, we're, we're a cool collaborative duo. And uh, he brought on Mark, who was the director of photography, um, who was working the camera. And he also has really cool, uh, amazing, like visual talent and um he got all the lenses the right lenses and like nesto found the the place that we filmed at which was like a really cool like run down victorian home in san pedro wow and yeah and uh and i made all the props and did all the makeup and the costumes and found the cast and so you know we we wore it was like the three of us did it so we wore a lot of hats um and it came together really well, I think. And that has to oh, make Oh yeah, the, it was awesome. That has to <laughs> make the output a lot more satisfying too, knowing that you have such a contained crew and it's like, well, this wasn't made by a crew of hundreds or dozens. The three of us made this magic. So that's gotta make it even a little bit more sweeter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean on the day, you know, when we were filming, it was like I was the crafty person. I was <laughs> trying to make sure all the things like, do I have all the props? Do I like, it was a lot. Uh, it, 
sets can definitely run smoother when everyone's in their, you know, uh, employed in their department. But, but uh, you know, it was also COVID. So I thought I, we made that during COVID. So I, another way of, you know, practicing safety right now is by having a little amount of people. So. That's an excellent point. And for some reason, when you were describing that, it made me think of like those old movies where somebody would go to like a small town and the mayor was also like the post office guy was uh, he was also the sheriff and the tailor. He had like six different jobs in the town. That's kind of what that made me think about. (laughs) All right. Let me ask you this last thing on videos, because you coming from the FX world, I have to imagine this is a really hard kind of needle to thread. How important is the visual aspect when you're writing songs? Do you see everything in the visual contents because you're so steeped in your day job in the visual world, especially when making videos on a solo project? I have to imagine the visual aspect of it is really important to you. It is really important to me. Yeah. And, you know, in in reflection, I did have different visuals in my head when I was writing the songs. Yeah. Like there's a song called Circular Valley on that album, um, and it's a it's a short story actually. And I wrote the lyrics about the short story pretty like you know verbatim what happens in the short story. And uh, and the visuals I love the visuals that those words um, give. And I'm making a music video for that one too. It's going to be a watercolor animation. And oh, sweet. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm really excited for that one. Uh, my friend Eric Livingston, he does animations for like um, Dead Cross and Mr. Bungle and stuff. And, oh uh, man, yeah, I love Mr. Bungle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do it all. I do have a lot of visual visuals that come to mind when it when I'm writing songs. Yeah. And it's such an arduous process. I know Terminal Secrets, I think that was the first video you put out for the solo project, was Stop Animation. And I, re- yeah. I know how arduous it is. Here's This is a crazy, not a crazy story, but it's a funny story to me. Me and my cousin Pete, R.I.P., rest in peace, Pete, um, he was like my best friend at the time. And my dad was an electrician. And this, you know, we're talking maybe early 80s before people had handheld video cameras really and my dad had repaired replaced a video camera surveillance camera in a 7-eleven convenience store and he brought home the old black and white surveillance camera and i don't i had just seen a show on stop animation so me and Pete took our little gi joe guys and you know we'd stand him up and move his hand one inch and take a picture and then stop pause stop pause and just did that for hours to get like 10 seconds, 20 seconds of footage. And the combination of this video was like the G.I. Joe dudes like hit something. And then we turned it off and then it just lit the shit on fire. And it just looked like it blew <laughs> up into flames. And like we were the kings of the neighborhood, the sultans of White Oak when we did that. It showed all our friends like, look at this movie we made. And we were, you know, we we're probably like eight or nine years old. And that video just kind of brought me back to that process and how grueling it must be, the hours you must have put in to put that together. Because I know how many hours it took for just me and Pete to do that little 20-second G- G.I. Joe thing. Yeah, I mean, we I really like recognized um, how long my songs were when we were doing that music video. I was like, why are all my songs like four to five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
like, yeah, we would work all day and walk out of there with like 10 seconds, you know? Yeah, that's uh, dedication right there, man. I'm true. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was awesome. That was my first time making a stop motion animation. And my friend Jenny um, is going to Cal Arts, and that's primarily what she wants to do. So um, it was a cool it was cool to learn everything that goes into it. And and you know we weren't like um, it would have been even longer if we had to make like every little figure out of like clay and like the whole like scenery that these like different clay characters were living in that, that would have been longer. Um, we, it saved some time doing like a, a, a pixel animation where it's like, you know, pictures of my face moving. But I think one of the things outside of like the environments that we made that took the, the longest at first was um, getting the mouth movements to look like I'm singing the, the song um, <laughs> was a funny process to learn because like we basically had to do a video of me singing the song in real time and then put that alongside the pictures that we were taking. So we would freeze it when I'm saying like one word and then every little mouth movement that would be in the next picture, I would have to replicate while I'm like in front of camera and can't move. Um, so somebody would just be like, okay, now your mouth's like this. Oh, and I'd like, okay, I do an O face <laughs> and they'd be like, mm, okay, now it's a little bit wider. Okay. And then they, they take the picture and be like, mm, a little bit more shut. And then they take the picture and be like, okay, now a little bit more shut. And then they take the picture and it's like, so yeah, and, and you play it back, and either it would look really great, or you'd be like, "Oh, that doesn't look like I'm saying it at all." <laughs> no, thank you. Let me tell you, um, I got this little program on my computer where I edit just videos when I do video interviews or something, and I'll weave in the songs from the band and then cut back to the interview and stuff. And I had this harebrained scheme. I was going to try to make a video for my band from the '90s, even Steven. And I tried to do that. I tried to match up words with the, with the song and different stuff like that. Long story short, it ended up with me going, fuck this. And it never came to fruition. <laughs> I was like, this is impossible. I do not have the patience to do this. And um, so, yeah, my hat's off to you, man, because that is not an easy task. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the process, actually. <laughs> Yeah, but you got to love what you do, and I think that's what makes it easy. All right, let's go on. I want to um, play a song off the new solo album, Mata de la Rosa. I think I'm getting good at saying that. My favorite song on the album is Salty Breeze, so that's what we're going to play. What do you want to tell us about this track? Um, that's one of the first that I wrote, actually. So that's, that's cool. That's one of your favorites. Um, and that's when I was like going to just make the album like, me and my guitar before it sort of transformed into all these like experimental percussion and tribal beats um and it's just me finger picking the guitar and then we added all these different layers to to make it more experimental to it and um and i like the hauntingness of this song i think that's one of my favorite parts about this song is how haunting it sounds Absolutely. All right. Well, let's play this song and we're going to come back with some fun Halloween questions before we get you out of here. Saw you 
Jane, and we're going to get ready to finish up with some spooky Halloween questions. Are you ready, Crow Jane? So ready. All righty. <laughs> what does Halloween usually, we can put COVID year aside, but what does Halloween usually look like at the Crow Jane house? Are you, I got to imagine you're a huge Halloween person. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Halloween every day of the year at my house. <laughs> Any special traditions you do every year, a special type of party or theme or anything like that? Yeah, you know, I'm usually working a crazy amount, like turning everyone into uh, creatures and things like that. Um, But uh, there's these Halloween parties that makeup effects people have that are really elaborate. Everyone shows up in these fucking amazing costumes with amazing makeup. And, like, the rock stars of the effects industry have these uh, Halloween parties. And, uh, like, one of them is from Erin um, McCash. She does, like, all the Ryan Murphy shows. She does uh, American Horror Story with her, like, cult fame. And uh, so her house is one of them. And then there's a different warehouse party. But that's that's usually what I do and that's a really fun time and just like you can just sit there and look at all the costumes and have a good time you don't even have to talk to anybody um 
But I love Halloween and, and the decor in my home is Halloween 365 days around. And um, it's a full moon this Halloween. And I'm going to do my own sort of Stan Hain ritual. And uh, I have a little black cat. And I'm just, this is, uh, this is all my. Oh, well, my shit, you're ready. <laughs> you are prepared. All right. Um. What was your first Halloween costume? And by first Halloween costume, I mean just like store-bought costume when you were a kid. And what was the very first Halloween costume you created yourself? I can't remember like what the very, very first was. Like maybe, I don't know, Barney or something. But I do... Terrifying. <laughs> I know. But I do recall, um, I would always want to be Scarlett O'Hara. I don't know why really, but I loved her so much. And I would have, I would dress up as her in these like big dresses for Halloween as a little girl. That was like one of my favorite people to dress up as, which is kind of weird in reflection. I can't believe she hasn't made her way into one of your videos yet. That character. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in one of my videos that I'm making coming up, I, they're wearing like this big dress and it's kind of like, (laughs) fantasies so maybe that one will have some some scarlet um i almost named before crone jane came to life um i was it was i was going to call it scarlet oh wow Um, okay but as far as costumes the first costume that i that i made um i think it was like uh i like this band i think i talked to you about this before called the residents and I paper mache they wear like these big eyeballs on their head and and tuxedos and top hats and canes um when they perform. It's a band from San Francisco, and that sounds incredible by the way. that's right in my wheelhouse of what I like <laughs> yeah they're they're great, they're bizarre, but it's the good bizarre um I made a eyeball out of paper mache and then just got you know, a tie and put together some kind of a suit and, and a t- glued a top hat on it and uh, put like a, a screen where I, <clears throat> in the pupil where I could look out of the eyeball. But I remember like attending the party and I had like tunnel vision. And I kept thinking <laughs> <of> the people. It's <laughs> uh, like uh, walking so around would... in a periscope, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. So I would take it off sometimes and I, and I remember I was holding it I'm talking to somebody and somebody like walked by me and was like, Oh, are you the clear eyes guy? <laughs> you should have said yes. I hope you said yes. That's exactly what I <laughs> I don't remember what I said, but I, it's still stuck in my brain. I, you know, I still have it in my head because I thought it was really funny. Dude, like <laughs> five or six years ago, um, there's this comic book. It's like the punk rock forefathers. And it has a picture of Abe Lincoln, like in a leather jacket and like a Ramon shirt smoking a cigarette. And it's just like the coolest looking thing. So I got a tattoo of it on my back calf. And just my fucking bad luck. The week I got that tattoo, Abe Lincoln, a Lincoln um, vampire hunter hit. And every time I go to the mall, like these tweens would be like, oh, my God, is that Abe Lincoln vampire hunter? And I was like, shit, I got to wear long <laughs> pants all summer. This is fucking humiliating. But yeah, it just kind of reminds <laughs> me of that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm yeah, old. I drift okay. off in the ozone sometimes. 
I uh, I have a Salvador Dali tattoo, like a painting that he did um, called the elephants on my calf. And I guess it looks like some kind of things that um, Linkin Park had in a music video um, in the 90s or something. So I, I have that experience. Where and you said that was who? Is that Elephants yeah. by Salvador Dali? Did you say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God, that's my absolute favorite Salvador Dali um, painting. Oh, yeah, I have that tattooed on me, and people think it's a Lincoln Park. <laughs> oh, man, that's I think that's actually beats out my, at least people forgot who Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter was. My God. All right, let's move on. Are you superstitious? Won't step on a crack, won't let a black cat cross your path. Do you have superstitions? I'm I'm not superstitious in that way. Like I don't really care about walking under ladders and stuff like that. Um, but I do like I am a, a mystical creature and and dive into mysticism and I do um, dabble with rituals and have read about a lot about the occult and uh, and yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I would say you're not superstitious. Okay, let's kind of wrap up with this. This is how we're wrapping up with all the guests tonight. Do you have a good ghost story you could tell us? Um, I don't, you know, I wish I did have like a really good ghost story, but I feel like every sort of story that I have isn't like entirely exciting. Um, But I do have a couple, like for instance, this house that I'm in, it's a really, that I live in, it's a really old building. And uh, I've had multiple people that come into my place that, um, you know, are sort of sensitive to energies. And they'll tell me, like, well, the energy in here, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. And, like, you know, um, my sister, who I don't even think really uh, believes in these kinds of things, um, told me that she woke up in my bed and saw like she drew a picture of this sort of a black like um mass of just like strings almost like just a black like blob type of thing oh yeah that's creepy in my bedroom and uh and i don't know who brought this up but somebody brought it up and said that it was probably a demon portal um (laughs) Oh, that should make you sleep well at night then. <laughs> so, supposedly I had a demon portal in my room and then we like did this ritual to capture the demon that we thought it might be. Um, and I still have the jar. It's like sealed with a candle um, in my house. And outside of that, there's like these lights that go on around the evening, um, almost every evening, uh, that are battery operated. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, but th- those are like my only sort of ghostly stories that I have. I mean, I think portal <laughs> to hell next to your bed counts as a ghost story. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel like that qual. Yeah, I, I don't know tracks. how to make it any more creepier than a mass of like black strings portal to hell. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll say that qualifies. Yeah. <laughs> 
All righty, we're going to get you out of here because it is getting close to the witching hour for us over here in Knoxville. Um, before we let you go, please tell all the kids where to find everything you do on the interwebs. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, on Instagram, I'm just underscore Crow Jane, underscore, and then YouTube is Crow Jane Noise. I have a website. If you Google Crow Jane Noise and uh, you'll find me. I think you have to Google <laughs> it as um, one word mashed together, though, right? Because if you do two words, then it pulls up a bunch of different other stuff. So I found it easier yeah, by yeah, just yeah. like one word. One word mashed together, and even it's probably better to do Crow Jane Matter De La Rosa, honestly. Because, uh, I mean, you know, I, I took the name from a Skip James song. So if you just Google Crow Jane, you're going to see Skip James pop up, mm-hmm. and uh, also Nick Cave did a song called crow jane too so you'll see all that pop up too right on well i want to thank you for calling in again as usual and wish you a happy halloween and be safe man don't slip in any demon portals or anything we want to have you back on next year (laughs) all right thank you for having me i will Uh, all righty you have a happy (laughs) halloween happy halloween bye Alrighty, Mormo, we are gearing up for the next guest, and I think Odell is coming back. Awesome. Alrighty, so we're getting ready to wrap things up with our last guest, and Odell, you have returned from beyond. Yes, yes, I have. Where have you been all Everybody says hello. You disappeared after (laughs) the first interview, and you're finally back. Do you have any macabre stories to tell us? Were you locked in a fruit cellar? No, just reading a few bedtime stories. (laughs) <laughs> all righty fair enough are we ready to get tonight's guest in here tonight's last guest in here wow what a show yes yes all righty great Ta- guest tonight's last guest of the evening is a mesmerizing multi-instrumental artist whose band skating poly is beloved by their endearing and dedicated fans and has inspired a whole new generation of artists here to talk about music halloween and the creative process we welcome kelly mayo happy halloween kelly <laughs> ah shucks happy halloween guys i got yeah. way too much um, into that i sounded like the monster truck guy like sunday 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 i <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to even out here. I'm a little bit too excited. Happy Halloween, guys. <laughs> I very much appreciate it. This is our, well, it's the anniversary of the conception of our band, 11 years on, on actual Halloween. So, yeah. Yeah, yes, so this is a big right. day. And, you know, um, I kind of want to start off with this. We always like to start these shows off now with a little bit of COVID conversation because it impacts so many people in so many different ways. And 2020, man, it has been an incredibly tough year. I mean, between COVID, the election, all this political turmoil, and, of course, COVID has impacted so many artists in so many different ways. And people now are having to learn how to get online and kind of sing for their digital supper. And on top of all of these hurdles, you have also had to go through surgery, vocal surgery this year. So let's kind of start off with how you're recovering from surgery and how you guys have been dealing with COVID as a band and just personally. Um, yeah. Uh, well, back, oh gosh, it's so hard to like even remember whenever everything started happening. Around uh, the last time I was talking to you, actually. I was dealing with mm-hmm. some problems with my voice where I just felt like I wasn't hitting on the same notes and it was just feeling like I was like constantly 
getting sore throats or like blockage and I was just like I I would I would just do my like short-term remedies over and over again because I just thought like oh, I'm not hitting these notes I better toughen it up and start hitting these notes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and so um and I, I maybe also had a sinus infection or maybe didn't but I went to several doctors and they were like didn't really know what was wrong and then I finally went to like a my actually Shirley Manson from garbage was like go see my like throat doctor go see him oh wow <laughs> I was like okay and it was like a very expensive doctor but <laughs> I'm glad I went because uh he caught I had two um massive cysts in one in each vocal cord Ooh, and, ouch. Uh, oh wow yeah and it was like it was kind of crazy going in because He's. I've never seen anything like this in all 20 years of my career, and and then he was just like a bad, a bad sis is like is two centimeters. Yours are eight and eleven inch, eight and eleven centimeters high. Oh my goodness! And I was like, oh. Was he kind of scolding you for it? Like, why did you wait so long? Um, I think I don't know. I mean, maybe partially, but I think also like I was kind of like laughing off everything he said. Not like in a like oh ho ho fuck I don't give a shit, but just more in like this like I'm so uh, like a nervous laugh. No idea what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, don't know what to do about it. Uh, it's gonna be expensive, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I pretty much found out um end of last year that I was gonna have some complications this year, and uh, then just um, at first I was gonna have to have two surgeries, and now. Sound, uh, I just had the one surgery and I, I think I'm actually, I'm good now. Well, I'm not like entirely healed on the green light to sing again, but I can talk and stuff. Um, and yeah, you know, in March, everyone found out about COVID. So then everyone was just, uh, cause originally it was like, oh, 2020 is just going to be the stucky year for us where I can't really sing. And a big part of how I write, right. is, you know, singing like so we're not gonna be able to tour and blah 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 and i felt so guilty to my band and then it was like everyone couldn't do touring this year so and, and now the message that i was getting is like you're so lucky this happened now right right <laughs> yeah. No, right yeah perspective for um, sure so so yeah it, it but even with how lucky i am and i'm not dealing with near i i mean this has been so much harder on a lot of people that I know. I had a friend whose um, dad was like dying of cancer through all this and wasn't really allowed to see his dad because of all of it. And oh so God. in the grand scheme mm. of things, my problems throughout all of this, you know, weren't the worst. It was hard, like healing and dealing with the emotional weight of everything on you. I mean, if I can be a little woe is me for a second, like that was my big struggle. Right. I, I did not handle that well. <laughs> oh, like wow. I did not handle like being silent and being really depressed about everything going on and feeling powerless and also just feeling useless like I did but um I uh I don't know I'm feeling more optimistic I've been I learned a lot of stuff on piano and a lot of stuff on guitar and just kind of dove into other aspects of being a musician and <laughs> being an artist so that was cool i've been really obsessed with politics which is not so cool it's just like draining <laughs> miserable but yeah it's draining <laughs> it's yeah. a soul-sucking viper's pit i i actually started That's, off yeah. in public life in politics i wrote for political oh, sites yeah. and um did some yeah. activism and had a political panel show called the ignorance equation but once 2016 happened man and like i used to host that show with someone who was very right wing 
But when Trump came on the scene, boy, like I, I was, I thought I was gonna have to commit myself, dude. Like with some of the shit going on, so I had to like, like kind of retreat back into music and comedy and stuff. The politics dude, I was just I don't way sleep too much. Lately. I just been like, it's tough. So I, it's funny. I tweeted. I was like, I keep compulsively checking Twitter as if I can find the winner of the presidential election. And but and, and it's a joke, but it's also true. Like I keep checking the news as if I'm just gonna like, we're gonna get this over with, and we still have six days to go. <laughs> yeah. Like, and we have the I'm, battle I'm, afterwards. I'm the post election oh, yeah. battle, yeah, which is gonna totally. drag on for who knows how long. I, 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 well, I'm it's funny. happy, like, knowing, like, you know, like, some senators or, like, some governors. Like, I just want to know something. Just give me something good. <laughs> no more horrible bombshells, please. Even if they're horrible well, for I, the president, because it just, nothing seems to stick to him. So. Oh, gosh. I know uh, <laughs> just just the other day I was listening to um, Howard Stern, and he said that. He was like, he can't sleep. He was like, this is, he was like. And he was like, it's all due to this election. And he, and he was, he was saying how, you know, with past presidents, it didn't, it didn't really matter if you agreed with them or disagreed with them. You knew that they were capable people that could do their jobs properly. So you may not agree with their politics, but you may, you know, you're like, okay, I, I, I get it. I, I, I just have to wait this out. But he was like, you know, with this guy, I'm like stressing out because you just don't know what's going to happen and what, if we're going to be here the next day, if, Dude, you know, I thought we have I, a pandemic going on. It's not. I know? never thought I would want boring back. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, even though Obama was out a lot because he was the first Twitter president and people were so hyper focused on him. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. see his face every day. I didn't hear his voice every day. And before Obama, like Bush or Clinton, God, I'd never you go weeks without hearing anything about the president. And this guy, it's like 24 mm-hmm. seven. You turn on PBS and there's yeah. Trump. You turn on fucking Cartoon Network. There's mm-hmm. something to do with Trump. You read Mad Magazine. It's <laughs> yeah. Trump, Trump, Trump. Like, you can't. I go into every facebook group it's like oh i mean i was telling before we got on the air i saw an ad for trisket crackers and it said the non-gmo snack and there were people on there like oh gmo is a hoax screw you liberals uh and that was politicized an ad for crackers <laughs> was politicized and it's like you can't escape it because this guy is just pouring gas on the fire every day on this political oh yeah fire. every day all so taking day. just all any day. political <laughs> position out of it just having this dude it's like remember that movie menace to a society odell where they're like and they call him g because he's always in the middle of everything stirring it up yeah it's like, it's like yep. trump is the g in this menace to society story yes Yes, and that's how he wants it, (laughs) (laughs) which is crazy to think. That's how he he feeds off of that. All right, well, let's kind of shift out of politics, or I'm just (laughs) going to go on and on, and we're going to get mountains of hate mail. Anyway, that's that's how my uh, years been. It was weird. The surgery and stuff got kept getting pushed back because of things with my insurance, and then I finally had it, and I I've recovered well, and I'm yeah still recovering well, and uh, my range. Actually, last time I was doing like vocal glides was like it's, it's bigger than it's ever been. So I'm feeling really optimistic in the grand scheme. Of That's things. what I was going to ask you. Is that is it one of those surgeries that um, I noticed uh, a few people have had had vocal uh, cord surgeries? Um, uh, Chino Moreno, I know he's had it and his voice came back like 10 times better than um it was before. So was it one of those things when you went in, the doctor said that, you know, you could possibly come back, it'll be even better. Or is it due to all of the 
the vocal exercises that you that you have to do. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it was like that, and it was funny because that first doctor that I went to that I told you about that like kind of saved my ass actually. Um, yeah, I went into his office and it was just like gold records everywhere. He had like Bieber and Ariana Grande oh, and Nickelback man. and just wow. like everyone. And um, <laughs> his name is Sean Gary, <laughs> and yeah, he's 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 and obviously Shirley was on the wall and all these people. But he kind of had this more like I mean he was like I I felt good being in his hands because he's obviously like the best of the best. But he also like was kind of like I said, I was like kind of giggly and being dumb, not like crying immediately, which I think I probably should have done. And that's probably the natural reaction to have is like, oh god. <laughs> and so I was like, oh god, I really fucked up on that, haven't I? Um, <laughs> and uh, he was just like, well, you know, you this could. There's always. Um, a huge risk factor with surgery. It could be like, uh, oh god, now I'm, now I feel dumb. What's the name of the chick who plays Mary Poppins, the original Mary Poppins? Sh- it was it Julie Shirley MacLaine or my Shirley? Um, Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, everyone knows about the, the infamous Julie Andrews case, and so Julie Andrews had this like botched surgery and then never got her range fully back. And like, and I, I didn't fucking know about that surgery. I didn't know shit about stuff like that. And so I was nervous. I guess a spoonful like, of sugar wasn't working and... for her. <laughs> it was just crazy. <laughs> and then, but I would meet people and people would be like, Oh, I had the surgery too. Um, and we'll kind of talk me through it. Shirley checks on me like weekly, which is so kind. When I, I, I met Kathleen Hanna, over the last year before COVID right, hit, and she was like, "You're nice. gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. I had the surgery too. It's actually fun being on mute." And I was like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> so, it, I mean, it, it helped having so many people like just being really supportive, and our fans were like amazing to me about it. Just like they were, I I, I felt so bad being like, "Yeah, we're gonna have another record out this year," and then having to be like, "Just kidding." But no, all of our fans were like, "Take <laughs> as much time as you need. We're here for you. Just heal. Just heal." So I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Can I shift gears here? Because I was thinking about you guys the other day, and this is crazy to me. You guys um, got together officially in 2009, right? This is nuts. So me and Dee, our producer, we've been together. We got together October 24th, 2009. Skating Polly officially formed a week later. So you guys have been together the whole course. Right? You got a Twilight Zone (laughs) effect back there, Dee? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> some Halloween like crossover um, and I was just thinking about at the time we have we still have but at the time our kids were four eight and nine and Peyton was what nine when you guys started uh, I was nine and she was 14 oh my god you were nine through these you're, you're the same age as our son right so oh, through this crap. whole thing and I'm seeing the kids grow up and like just life looks so much totally different. And the kids are totally different. I mean, when I was nine years old, I loved Star Wars action figures. But by the time I was in my 20s, even though when I was nine, I was like, I'm going to play with Star Wars action figures forever. By the time I was 20, I didn't give a shit about Star Wars action figures. It is a testament to you all's commitment that through nine years old, being a child, through the teen years into adulthood, You've kept this band together. I don't like usually nothing you're into when you were nine. You're going to be into at twenty. It's crazy to <laughs> me that, that any bands together eleven years is an achievement. But being together starting at nine years old, like the Partridge Family, like just starting at such a young age, <laughs> and all the way up <laughs> into adulthood. I mean, that's an incredible story by itself, and it's a hell of an achievement. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, um, I think, uh, I don't know, I, uh, our family really helped facilitate, you know, like letting this uh, this dream come to life. Like they would, you know, <laughs> they'd accompany us, accompany us on tour whenever we neither of us could drive. And like they, uh, they weren't, they trusted us. You know what I mean? Like they didn't, they didn't That's think awesome. we were going to become like druggies or, uh, <laughs> or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. And, and they showed, and me and my dad have such a like bond over music and we're always like showing each other, um, like new songs and stuff. It's almost, it's almost competitive. Um, <laughs> but from a really young age, like he just, he kind of, um, uh, embedded me with all this really, these really great bands and artists that I still love and, um, music that like is, is, is tangible for, for a kid, like, like simplistic and raw. And, um, y- you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't just, ZZ Top or something. <laughs> um, so it, it felt, and and they believed in us. So and, and then and then other artists really believed in us. I mean, it, I can't right. express enough how much it helped that Xene, before we even recorded our first album, was like, "Hey, send me demos of what you're doing." And and then she ended up producing our second record. So you know, having right. as soon as that happened, really, I mean, there you could say like as soon as like the first local band was like letting us play with them, like real local bands, not kid bands. But as soon as mm-hmm. I seen like kind of came out of the, like, you know, started championing us. I was, I was like, man, I really want to give this all I got because I have this extraordinary opportunity that not a lot of people are going to get. And Peyton felt the same way. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I well, kudos really to stuck. you for recognizing that too. Yeah, kudos to you for recognizing the fact that you had that opportunity. A lot of people, and Nick will tell you, uh, we we came up in in our scene together. There was a lot of people that just brushed it off and pushed it to the side. And, oh and, yeah, and you you had a handful of people that were like, no, this is the window is open right now. We need to you know bust through it. And then you know we're at that age now where a lot of those folks come back and you know. They're, pretty much kicking themselves in the butt for not, you know, taking advantage of that. So that's a, that's a huge statement for you to recognize that at such a young age. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I want to go back to this age thing, because this is what really sticks with me. Do you like, I mean, of course the answer is going to be yes. I guess I'll ask you how, how do you look at music differently today than when you started? Cause once again, nine years old, starting off in music, are you thinking like I'm going to do this the rest of my life, or is it kind of like I'm doing this and this is neat? And how do you look at it today? Like, do you feel a lot more serious today than you were then, or were you always super serious and you've kind of been leveled at this? Um, I feel like I've, I mean, uh, I I don't know. I I I think I've always been pretty serious and like always been like I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like I've never pictured myself in the future without music. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, it's not to say that like, since I was nine, I was like, all I would do all day is, you know, play music with me. I definitely could have like buckled down and like become a better musician and stuff and like not watch so much TV or something, but <laughs> I, I think you were like, doing pretty okay at nine years old playing shows. Slacker. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I don't know. I think I've always taken it pretty seriously. Um. I think there's a lot of, again, like 
we, as we've grown, we've met a lot of really cool mentors. And, um, and also I think why we've been able to grow is because we're really like hungry for more music and hungry for knowledge about music. And, uh, we've always been that way. So, um, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I guess just like, <laughs> as long as that, that, um, drive to find new things doesn't go away. I don't, I, you know, I, I think we'll keep wanting to make new things. <laughs> um, I, right. I look at music differently. I, in some ways, but in other ways, sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I need to like, take a step back and remember that I I love imperfection in the songs and I shouldn't overthink this so much. I need to like, just let things fall out of my mouth more. Like sometimes I'll go back and, you know, be like, uh, I'm moving too much in a different direction from like the idea that this band was kind of conceived around. You gotta um, get back to those nine-year-old roots. <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, there's just a freedom to being so, so young and like not as self-aware. Oh, There's yeah. just a, a a freedom that comes with that, um, a freedom to be more imaginative, um, and you don't. I I think I'm I'm definitely just I can be overly self aware and like I can mm-hmm. definitely overthink things and and worry too much about how um how I'm gonna come across. And whenever I was nine, I didn't worry so much about that. Like I would just kind of I wouldn't always know exactly why I was doing something but it felt right <laughs> or not nine, but you know, 12, 13, 14, you know, through all those sure. ages, like when I was younger. And so I, I don't know, but I, I think I've kept in touch with that same side of me. I don't think, you know, I don't know. Is it easy <laughs> I'm, I'm for you to get back in that headspace? Like, can you remember what playing music, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old felt like, and you could kind of transport yourself back mentally? I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think whenever I was, younger i always felt way older than i really was and now i feel a lot younger than i am <laughs> I'm like, I'm gotcha that's the trick you're living right there <laughs> huh? you know i don't know if i am i think i'm being kind of crazy but um like <laughs> i i don't know um I, I i i don't know that i i necessarily need to transport backwards it's just like it's not it's just about like not taking things for granted and you know uh, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, I think is a big thing that sometimes it, it's mm-hmm. easy to just like get scared and stop doing things because you're uncomfortable or you don't know how it will be received. And a big part of like what makes us us is like, you know, when things aren't, when things are ugly, we, we go forward with it. So. Right on. All right. Well, we're going to take some fan questions. Um, One of the big questions, always a big question. I already know the answer to this, but I'll ask it so everyone else can hear. Um, probably not coming out, or we can't expect a new Skating Polly album this year. What are your hopes for 2021 for new music? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I want to record an album as soon as possible. I hope that could come out in 2021. But now I, I'm biting my tongue about uh, like making promises on Instagram. Like, yeah, we're going to have an album out this year, so don't worry about it. Oh, boy. I, I, my, I assume we will. I assume we totally will have an album out by 2021. We have so many songs. So many. And from like all different universes. <laughs> like, I have a song that's oh, called, cool. uh, almost kind of like, country not not crappy country though like old country <laughs> um and i have a song <laughs> like bluegrass like, metal, like sounding yeah i guess like bluegrassy yeah like kind of like something like well 
I wrote it at Xene's house, but not with Xene. And uh, we have like a, a like kind of metal sounding song. And we just, I don't know, there's all these really different universes on the record already. There's this one piano song that's probably one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I just think it's really And a million vulnerable. skating poly fans are now salivating. They can't wait to hear this now that you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we uh, shouldn't have brought it up. Really beautiful. Peyton has a really, really beautiful um, acoustic song that we've demoed and that I, I play keys on and she, she plays guitar on. And it's like this really plucky, it's almost like Phoebe Bridges, but I like it more because it's Peyton Bitcourse. <laughs> uh, gotcha. I, I love Phoebe gotcha. Bridges, but I just think Peyton's own take on it is really original and unique and special. And I, it like gives me goosebumps. I'm really proud of her song. It's it it amazing. Well, at least we have something to look forward to, and I'm sure people hear that we can kind of keep our fingers crossed for 2021. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that is happy Halloween news. All right, Terry Jack Rose oh, yeah. Skating Poly Group. It's a really awesome group on Facebook dedicated to you guys, and he's always a great help when it comes to collecting questions and stuff. So we're going to ask a couple fan questions. Coming straight out of the Skating Poly group. First one, Alan H. Kelly. I would love to know your thoughts and favorite things about Glasgow or Scotland. I was being specific about Glasgow, but I was also wondering if you had traveled to more places in Scotland. I live here. Uh, We've played Edinburgh. I think I'm saying that wrong, probably. But we've played there with um, Kate Nash once, but also a really beautiful city. We just think Glasgow is freaking gorgeous. Um, nice. I I believe that they're like uh, I don't know, what would it be like they're they're animal they're like city animal or whatever is <laughs> a unicorn which is so dope. Oh, oh wow! Animal, but it's not a state. So you know what I mean though. It's a fucking unicorn. Like their Incredible. mascot. Um, <laughs> their mascot. Yes, perfect. Those cities are older than our country, and they're beautiful, and they haven't been completely like gentrified. And we love that venue. Oh God, now I'm gonna. I feel like such an idiot that I'm not. It's not just coming straight to the tip of my tongue. But the venue we've played the last couple of times. Uh, it's been too long since we've toured. It's been too long. Um, well, that was to be fair. Like that was way back in the pre-COVID days, so it's hard to remember. <laughs> yeah, back in the pre-COVID days, before I had gray hair and wrinkles. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, there's this great venue we always play. It's gonna like come to me like ten minutes later. But on top is like this great bar, and then below you like take these like stairs down to this just like amazing like sounding room i don't know it's and with this really chaotic energy it's so dark in there um and they have amazing french martinis and amazing uh vegan white russian and i've gotten very drunk in that bar several times and i love glasgow <laughs> well, you painted a perfect picture of that all right let's move on to the next one ben gilbert what melvin's album is your favorite you're a huge melvin's fan right yeah um geez louise I don't know what, which one's my favorite. I mean, I'm going to sound so lame. Uh, you know, I saw them live. And the thing about the Melvins is, like, they don't... I, 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 after, I, I went and saw them live with my friend Arrow. And afterwards, she was like, were you upset that they didn't play their hits? And I was like, do the Melvins have hits? <laughs> it's like, I, I, they could have played anything, and I would have been... So stoked. They have this quality that I would say like Bates and Toyland also have where it's like 
um, every single song, they bring like this really unique, raw, huge energy to um, that you can't really go wrong with a Melvin's record. That being said, I like the one. Oh my God, I can't remember the name of it. I feel really dumb. But there's two that I like. There's one with a swan on it that I really, really like. I only have the CDs and I don't, I don't say the names out loud enough and I feel so dumb. But I, the one with the swan <laughs> on it is really great. And then the one with like the children playing with blocks that has hooch. And Honey Bucket on it. It might be called Honey Bucket or it might be called Hooch. Odell should know this. You know the Melvins a lot better than I do. Odell, help me. Yeah, but but it's been a <laughs> minute. That's a question I've flung. <laughs> 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 but, um, oh, yeah, goodness. no, but I, I, I freaking love them. And uh, they were, uh, our, Dale Croker is, I think, one of the greatest drummers of all time. And they yes, were really, really kind right. to me afterwards, so. I'm very grateful. All righty. John Patterson, here's a good one. Um, this is one I want to know, too. Are you going as Pancake Polly for Halloween? <laughs> no, I'm not doing anything for Halloween. I'm probably just going to be sad and glued to my TV watching politics. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That is a horror show. So, um, I don't know what I'm going to be for Halloween. Me and Peyton have talked about dressing up. I don't. It's probably going to be grand surprise. Um, if but I might be too lame to dress up. My Pancake Polly outfit is um, living safely with my friend Scott Stucky in storage, I think, actually, right now, because he just moved. So I don't I can, don't got no access to... Wait, and, mm. and who said I'm Pancake Polly? I don't know who that is. That's definitely... I'm definitely not the secret identity behind Pancake Polly. I think John, John Patterson is one of your secret um, <laughs> supervillains. Is it your nemesis? Uh, yeah, trying to expose me like this? Maybe so. Oh, I can't believe I got suckered into playing a part of this. Uh, On a you. side note, man, um, I love Pancake Mountain. Speaking of Arrow, I love the one with Starcrawler as well. If I was in a band at a young age, I would like my one of my big goals would be to be on that show. It's amazing. Yeah, it's an incredible, incredible show. Sorry, that's my crazy dog in the background. Patsy, hey, quit it. Okay, that doesn't help at all saying quit it. But um, <laughs> anyway, that is it is one of the greatest shows. Um, uh, I um, I it kind of is like if Skating Polly was a TV show, it'd be like Pancake Mountain because it kind of has this weird like uncanny, wild, sparkly, but like kind of just demented energy to it. <laughs> so yeah, so no, amazing. He's one of my closest friends. Uh, he's just a genius. So this one's really excited. Anyway. Um, nice big explanation points. I'll read it. Excited. Nathan De Silva. Have you ever heard of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? And aren't they one of the best oh fans of all times? Many hugs and thanks from <laughs> Winnipeg, Canada. Explanation point. OMG. Uh, I have heard of them, and I've even heard a couple songs with them, but I can't remember what songs I've heard. A friend of mine burnt me a very romantic cassette tape with their music on it and i don't have a cassette player so i had to go and like find the songs online and just make a playlist of all the songs from the cassette and they're cool but i don't know if personally to me they are one of the greatest bands of all time but i'm i like the energy and let's let's roll with it let's let's roll with it nice. <laughs> i would be happy to hear that all right got a couple more left d i sent you the long one because i dread reading long things on air so why don't you yes. read the one from rasky i think his name is okay well first off let me tell you chris whitehead said you sounded good when you voted and he had asked how your voice box was but of course you already answered that 
healing on the menu, <laughs> etc. And Thank the you. other question we had was from Rasky Bikowski. And I, I'm a little confused by this question because, one, it totally <laughs> makes me jealous because I'm a huge John Cusack fan. Like, that's my Hollywood boyfriend. He just doesn't know it yet. Um, oh, my God. I wish Peyton was on this interview. That's what Peyton would probably fight you over that. I think oh, she's the same thing. Boyfriend, and he also doesn't know it yet. Yes, um, exactly. He doesn't know it. It's okay. It's okay. I can share. It's fine. Um, and I do have saucy, so, you know, it's not like I'm going And I'm anywhere. pretty close to John Cusack, especially in my political rage. Yeah, he's like the at-home version, so, you know. I'm the take-home oh, version. My family's the at-home version. There you go. So, Rasky says, did you feel overwhelmed when John Cusack joined in on Tambo with his beat homage of Thelonious Monk's Epistoph... Epistrophe, epistrophe, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it, um, on Infinity Loop. And then was it discussed beforehand or did it just kind of come naturally while all the craziness was ensuing? Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. Um, no, and is he good, still there? Why did he scream popcorn nicked Brasilio at Curtis and then spray paint an X on his shirt? Wow, this is a really complicated joke. They just Isn't kept, it? They kept going with it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, the thing about John Cusack is we just can't keep him off our stage whenever we play Chicago. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Before and that he just, he'll storm the stage. He's really insistent on adding tambo to every song. I hear he's sometimes very. Sometimes can be a problem. <laughs> yeah, like we have songs with these, like, with these melodic dips, you know, where, where, the, where the song's pretty quiet and, and he'll just be like, uh, but you know it's John Cusack and Peyton loves him and yeah you know for the sake of their relationship we just kind of you know let it happen so let him tag along <laughs> that tracks I think that's an eloquent answer um, but wait but on a serious note one of the greatest moments of Peyton's life and and she has the tweet pinned to um like like pinned to the wall on her near her desk at her at her work right. Um, but we were we, we constantly be like tonight in Chicago, Jack Cusack, Jenny all these people. I think one year we had, we told people to tweet at him, or every time someone responded to the tweet, they were tagging him as well. So you know, fifteen twenty people were like tweeting at John Cusack about playing our show, and he was he just responded with he like retweeted and he was like. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it was like a lot of you. <laughs> and then immediately we were, we retweeted and we we're like, OMG, did you forget the set time, John Cusack, or, or something stupid? And then he deleted the tweet, but we already screenshotted it, so we have that forever. <laughs> did, you, um, love it. did you blow it up, frame it, and put it on your wall? Because that sounds like it deserves to be on your wall. Yeah, no, Peyton totally has it. It's on her wall, man. Right. Awesome. Oh, my. <laughs> All right, a couple it. more. That's George great. Perez, what are, for you, the most and least rewarding things about making a living as a musician? The most rewarding things about making a living as a musician? Um, I, I love um, a few things. I, I like just being able to kind of bookmark my life with, with music since like, I don't know, every day, if I don't make a playlist for that day or like have songs that get me through the day or have a song stuck in my head, it's usually a sign that I'm really depressed. Mm -hmm. 
So I like, I use music to deal with everything and writing my own songs and like my own, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, it's, I, I can relate everything back to a song at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm really proud of the songs we've made. And, um, and I'm, I, it makes me so happy whenever that can be the soundtrack to someone else's life. Um, because it, it's definitely like just naturally kind of a soundtrack of my life. Cause you know, it's like this thing that I've written about my life. Um, but right. like, especially little girls like listening to our music or, or <laughs> young people in general. And, um, I love it when people cover our songs and I love it when people are like inspired to make like, like drawings, uh, or, you know, whatever, like, Whenever I can tell that, like, <laughs> you know, the whole reason I got into music was just, just like, I had songs pounding in my head that I, I couldn't keep inside me anymore because of all these other musicians that I've been listening to forever and ever. Like, like I'm like one of those musicians for other people. That's so rewarding. That's so rewarding that it strikes a nerve with people and that people come back for more and that people keep up with us. Um, there's nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah, that's absolutely um, the brass ring of creativity is when you can, I mean, one yeah, of my right. favorite things of being in a band, because I wrote most of the lyrics, was seeing people sing our lyrics back to us. And I yeah. was like, yes, that connection and right there is great. I totally fumbled that answer. I said it so mush mouth and weird, but but yeah. And, and also um, <laughs> collaborating or touring with, with artists or just even even just like being recognized by artists who are also doing like exciting things. And you're just constantly kind of like getting inspired by each other. That's that's a really cool way to live. <laughs> and like rethinking like the rules of music constantly and like how you should approach a song. And I don't know. It's exciting. It's also kind of exciting. I mean, it can be annoying in its own way, like not having these set hours that you have to work on it. But it's exciting that like you can work on it whenever, wherever. Like if a song comes to you at 4 a.m. or if a song comes to you on a walk or, you know like a, a terrible infomercial like has a you know a, a line in it that you're like oh my gosh I have to use that as a lyric you know like that's, <laughs> that's pretty exciting it feels like you're just on this like constant scavenger hunt like what can you take from this world to like jarble out in your own way to um, make people feel something that's kind of like how I feel day to day. your answer is um, making me want to quit my day job and become a bass player again <laughs> man wow <laughs> eloquently put all right last one last fan question i love this name Perkis tooth i wonder if that's his real name Perkis tooth i have a question for the band <laughs> what way did you want to move to the seattle area was it the music scene and which seattle bands there are so many over the years are your favorites so why did you move to seattle and which bands are your favorite well obviously we really love Nirvana. I mean, for a little while, there was like a, a picture of Kurt Cobain in like every room in our house. And my my, my dad especially has put Kurt Cobain and Nirvana on like such a pedestal throughout my whole life. Um, and where it's almost like I was like I I almost don't like talking about it because it's just like well you know that that's Nirvana who we all worship and you know there's <laughs> no question about that there's no confusion there. Um, Have you heard the good news also, of Nirvana? <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, what? What's new? <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, uh, yeah, not just, it honestly wasn't only the Seattle music scene that brought us here, but a, a, a large part was the Olympia music scene. We love so many of the bands from K Records. I, I love like the minimalistic approach and that raw, weird, mm -hmm. I mean, people just 
purposefully writing songs without learning all of the rules of music. I, I love that. Um, I love Kimmy Dawson. I love Sleater Kenny. Um, I love Mecca Normal. So it was just kind of like, nice. I don't know, just general Seattle Olympia history. I think it was this thing, especially, you know, cause I moved up here originally with my parents and my whole family. My dad had like his whole, throughout his teen years always kind of thought which which is funny because you know seattle to kurt cobain and and stuff was like this or well not seattle but uh aberdeen was like like small town like just a bunch of skins and that's how my dad felt all of his life like oh we live in oklahoma with a bunch of bumpkins like i wish we could live in a cool blue Mm. state like seattle and so a big part of why we wanted to move here was because it was like a blue state. So, and then, and then I would I'd read people's like memoirs. Like when I read Car- Carrie Brownstein's memoir, I was just, it was really exciting to be like, oh yeah, Calvin Johnson, we worked with him. And, oh, I've been to that restaurant in Olympia and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I don't know. I think we just kind of liked how rich with history it was. And then since I've like went and been living in LA for like kind of last year and a half or so um, on my own and then. Now I'm staying back up here again because I came back up to heal and yeah, I don't know. I feel like I live in like four different states right now, honestly. So. <laughs> well, the most important is your state of mind, especially nowadays, being the right state of mind. All right, we're going to play something off New Trick EP, Hail Mary, and then we'll come back here and um, ask you a couple Halloween questions and get you out of here. Cool? All right, awesome. Now she's hurting a lot When she couldn't respond Tied her guts in a knot Close call, you know Such a pretty cat We're so much brighter than bad She's being eaten for that Close call, you know She got hit so hard She just got up from the ground It's back, I won't tell Hey Mary, follow me out We'll never walk back Hey Mary, tell me honestly You never want that Hey Mary, trust me Don't look back or it's gonna end badly Burn out my broken shot 
we are back with Kelly from Skating Polly. Kelly, let's wrap this up with some random, awesome Halloween questions. Are you ready? Nice. Yes. All righty. <laughs> Favorite Halloween show you've ever played? Favorite? Oh, the one we played last year. Easy. Um, it was our 10-year anniversary, and um, we all were kind of like in costume or makeup. Curtis was dressed as Moby, which was just an amazing Halloween costume. And me and Peyton just were, like, using random Halloween. Um, well, Peyton was like a devil, I guess. But mine was kind of just like, I'm going to wear my my favorite stage outfit, and I'm going to paint my face like a clown. So <laughs> it wasn't there was not a lot of thought put behind it besides I want to look cool. Um, but it was just a great show. We played, like, so many songs from our entire discography. And uh, we were actually, like, running short on time. So before we went on stage, because it is this like all ages venue that had to close at a certain time. I was like, Peyton and Curtis was like, unless I deliberately like stop the set to say something, just assume we have to go directly into the next song. So we were like, just like smashing through the set. And I don't know, it was was great, 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 great energy. Odell, you remember those days, right? Trying to get the songs done before your time was, it was easy with even Steven because all our songs were like two minutes long. So we could play like 30 songs in 30 (laughs) minutes. But yeah, I remember. Oh my goodness! All right, first Halloween costume. Do you remember your very first Halloween costume? Uh, I remember my first one of note. Well, actually, there's a photo of me in this really cute, like monkey costume from like some time before I could even walk. That like all of my my cousins and my brother also wore the same cute monkey costume. My first one I picked out was Ballerina Man, which was I, I created it. It was a um <laughs> this like richard it was this richard nixon mask we just had in the house and then it was my ballet costume from dance and i just thought it was the greatest thing ever and i was like i want to go to school with nice. ballerina man and they're like okay so in kindergarten i was ballerina man <laughs> just to be clear that's not that's your secret identity you are not really ballerina ballerina man fighting crime <laughs> yeah no that's <laughs> i don't need to put any more targets on you as a superhero <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> All right, next one. Do you believe in the supernatural? Ghosts, Bigfoot, ESP, etc. Where are you on aliens, the whole shebang? Oh God. Um honestly, I'm I am I don't know. I, I yes, but just because I feel like if you outwardly say that you don't believe in those things, then those things will come and get you. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you believe it at all? Leprechauns, you so, name it. You I mean, just it. like honestly, mostly like little little girl demons is mostly what I believe in. <laughs> oh God! Oh Lord! That makes I sense. Like, that's like I can't. I'm I'm terrified of the dark, and um. I just watched Martyrs for the first time, which all my friends in Starcrawler were like, it's the most fucked up movie ever. It's so scary. And for a while, I was the kind of person who, like, when someone said a a horror movie was horrifying, I'd be like, well, I'm never watching that. But this was like a year of confronting my fears. So I watched it. Monster at the very beginning of Martyrs. That's what I believe in right now. And I I think it's coming to get me. Oh, wow. Um, Have you ever pranked the house on Halloween? Did you ever not get a treat and go back and toilet paper the house? No, I've never done that. I'm not punk rock enough. Oh. <laughs> or maybe I just always get treats. I don't know. Let's finish up with a ghost story. Do you have any ghost stories? Uh, ghost stories, ghost stories. Um, yeah, actually. We lived in this house in Oklahoma. Um, I guess maybe it was the last house we lived in in Oklahoma. It was like, it was like on the border of this really kind of yuppie, 
conservative town, Edmond, and like kind of bo- more like boony, like rural Oklahoma Guthrie. Actually, it was really close to like, I, I guess we're like someone from the KKK used to live or something. So oh, painting a picture. Oh, wow. <laughs> we were more so out in the rural area. And like our house was cool, but like all of our neighbors sucked. Um, and uh, anyway, we lived in this house. And I remember like the first or second day we like moved in, we met one of our neighbors and uh, we're, you know, just walking. This neighbor's being all friendly and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that the last family moved out. And uh, she's, she's like, um, so soon. She's like, yeah, there's actually been eight families living in this house in the past 10 years. And we were like, oh, ha, ha, I hope it's not haunted. And she's like, well, actually. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, wow. I've never heard of Amityville. <laughs> there was yeah. an incident 11 years ago. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and um, apparently, um, there's this, you know, teenage son who, to the neighbor, she was like, I think he's on drugs or something, was playing Russian roulette and killed himself up up in the bedroom connected to the attic. And guess who got that bedroom? Me and Peyton. We shared that bedroom. I was going to say. <laughs> oh, God. And um, anyway, we would just always, I, I, I one time swore I heard someone just like whispering to me. And there was another time, I mean, that door to the attic would always like open, which really freaked us out um, which is probably just the wind but whatever anyway we moved out I didn't have the most horrifying thing but Peyton and Curtis and all my siblings were always kind of like I just felt like there was someone else there sometimes I would just feel like I could like feel people walking in the house or like whispering to me like other people said that they heard whispering and I was like okay creepy creepy we moved we left whatever then like a couple years later someone finds me on Instagram and is like hey are you Kelly Mayo did you used to live at blah 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 you know our address and I was like uh yeah and it wasn't like a man, so I wasn't that threatened. It was like some middle schooler or like high schooler. So I was like, okay, it's like a, it's a young girl. Like, yeah, so it's, that's mm-hmm. me. And she was like, well, I found some of your schoolwork in the attic. And I just wanted to ask you a few questions if that's okay. I was like, okay. And she's like, have you ever experienced anything paranormal in this house? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. My it's nothing overtly terrible. It's just like this weird spooky vibe. No, no, that's <laughs> pretty vibe. crazy right off the bat. Yeah. All righty. That's a good place to wrap up. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for calling in tonight. And I want you yeah, to have no, a great thank you so much. Me again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before you go out the door, you want Anytime. to tell everybody where to find you on the interwebs? Uh, we're on like Twitter and Instagram. And like we just made a bunch of merch that you can find on our Twitter and our Instagram. We're on Facebook, but I haven't used our Facebook in a hot minute. Um, <laughs> your YouTube videos are great. I love videos. Yeah. <laughs> We're, on the internet. We're internet capable <laughs> sometimes. All righty. Uh, well, you. I want to wish you a happy right. Halloween and you guys be safe. And thanks for calling in. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Happy anniversary. Bye. Oh, well, thank hey, you. thanks, Kelly. All righty. <laughs> we are wrapping this up. So, what'd you guys think? Another successful Halloween show under our, our under all scary belt. I know. Under our scary yeah, belt. that was great, our, man. It's the best bro. Halloween ever. The best ever coming from Mormo? The king of yeah, Halloween? Yes, man. Better than a Branson <laughs> Halloween? <laughs> it's, it's a great <laughs> one. And I, I, I really appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. All righty, guys. We are out of here. And just on an editorial note, because of the holidays and some stuff going on around here, um, I think we're only doing one podcast next month. And then we're doing our end of the year show, of course, at the end of the year, right? I All right. So, yes. so we'll talk to you guys when we have a new president. Or maybe oh, not. Oh, gosh. 
Oh, oh God. That's scary to think of. That's a scary note to, to end on. <laughs> hey, you. Pick one. Heads or tails. 